getting better, Erica. Cops never come when you want. your regular checkups. Now, up wide and say ah. No ah. Mm -hmm. Let's have a look at that nose. A good physician always has the right instrument for the job. This won't hurt a bit. Mm, I think I found the problem. Be afraid. Be very afraid. You guys say what happened to our eyes? You're right, Mr. Flowers. People really should learn to keep their hands to themselves. Here's yours. It's all because of me that we're here now. Hungry, and cold, and hunted. Killer clowns in outer space. Holy shit. A doctor is in. I'm gonna get you, fuckers! I love you, Keith. All I can see right now is food. Sometimes, that is better. Hey, what's going on, son? It's what's coming off. Your face, clean off. I'm gonna light up your whole body, Karen. Aging all <laughs> listeners of Halloween Horathon 2 Dead by Pod. It's time for an all-new episode of the Film Effect Podcast, the weekly show that gives you the deepest of dives on a different film each episode in an effort to give it what we like to call the full film effect treatment. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is Dr. Giggles. I got the textbooks, the diagrams, the cadavers. This is the real thing. Scalpel. Bigger scalpel. Better. Clean cut through the derma. Suction. Easy now. Retractor. And cauterize. Just nudge 
these intestines over to the right. Bone cutter. Uh oh. Nicked a bit of the liver there. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Pancreas. <laughs> It only hurts when I laugh. What's happening? Jennifer? You are dead. Don't worry. It's just a routine operation. The doctor will see you now. <laughs> and Dr. Giggles, a madman who believes he's a doctor, comes to the town where his crazy father was killed and soon begins murdering people and becoming infatuated with a teenage girl who has a heart condition. Yeah, I need to speak on this one at the top of the episode. Watching Dr. Giggles was an experience I promise you you'll never get with in any other horror movie. The initial reaction I had after my first Dr. Giggles viewing in forever was, well, that was a movie that somebody wrote and directed that... Universal Pictures actually signed off on and released. And to be perfectly honest, I loved pretty much every fucking scene with the character in it. I couldn't contain myself half the time watching this again. Larry Drake is putting on a display in horror, one that only Larry Drake can pull off. He's Benny from LA Law and Robert Durant rolled in the one with this performance as the Mad Doctor and I had a serious blast watching him do his thing throughout the whole thing. Just throwing out the lamest yet fitting zingers and one-liners every fucking scene that he's in and here we are 30 years of dr giggles it's definitely a movie i've been following since its release and reflecting on 30 years ago it's crazy i literally remember this plane in a theater next to ours when i went with my grandmother and cousins to see three ninjas <laughs> and my cousins actually did that of that movie five minutes in and went into the theater next door to see this so yeah, i was pretty i was too young to partake but uh I think the real question here is, what did you think of this during your rewatch? Uh, yeah, this was a lot better than I thought it was going to be because I had seen this movie on VHS. That's the last time I had seen this movie, so that tells you how long yeah, ago it was. It's even longer than me. I watched it on DVD last. No, I streamed yeah. it. I streamed it, like, way back, but then before that, yeah, DVD. Yeah. So mine was VHS. That was the last time because, you know, we'll get into it. But, uh, yeah, so this movie exceeded my expectations. I was worried it was going to be one of those movies where I had fond memories of watching it when I was younger. Right. And it just didn't hold up because there's been plenty of times we've had that. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, but yeah. Uh, this this film delivers. It's actually better than I remembered. I think I understand what the movie's trying to do better now than when I was uh, younger. So, uh, yeah, I... I had a great time. I had a blast. And it, it and I just want to bring this up. It just blows my mind that this movie is not on like Blu-ray or a wide DVD release. Like I can't believe that uh some boutique label hasn't picked this up because this movie oh. is better than half of the films they put out. Oh, we're gonna get into that. Trust me, trust me. But before all that, let's do what we usually do. Talk about our first time viewings. Uh, it's it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically, that's my second time. And 
I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I um, to- so yeah, I rented it when it first came out from like this mom pod video store when I was spending a weekend up at my uncle Jimmy and Aunt Lisa's for the weekend. I just remember her taking me. I rented this VHS and I rented uh, what the hell is it called? The Adventures of Lolo and Lala on Nintendo. I think I got that. I think I got the title right. Sorry yeah, for all the gamers like out that. there. Yeah. Uh, right, actually, I think I'm going to be even more specific. The Adventures of Lolo and Lala 3. I believe that was the game that I rented with this. Wow. How do I remember that? I don't know, but I do. And uh, yeah, I, I watched it like three times that weekend. <laughs> so uh, it, was, it was fun. You know, it, it held up. I always wanted to see it ever since, you know, I heard about it. And uh, yeah, man, how about you? Like so many of the other uh, horror movies I've said on here, it was one I caught on cable back in the day. Okay. Uh, it might have even been edited for TV. I don't remember exactly. Whatever it was, the first viewing, I only caught it from about probably the midway point, maybe a little bit more. I missed the whole beginning part, so I really didn't understand the plot the first time I was watching it, but I was like, hey, hey I like this guy. He's giggling. He's, there's cool effects in it. So I, I was watching it, and then the first time I really watched the whole thing was probably a year or two later. I was just perusing the horror section, and you had that iconic VHS cover where you had, you know, the big base of Dr. Giggles over top the town. Yeah, I want to talk uh, about that soon, definitely. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, I remember renting it on VHS, and this was probably, I mean, I think I was still there with my mom, so I was probably like a tween you know, at that point, uh, so probably late 90s, early 2000s was the last time I saw this movie uh, prior to rewatching it for this episode. And that just rolls into the fact that, you know, we talk about a lot of underground or cult movies, but this movie, you can't watch it anywhere. Like you have to either buy it or at least rent it like it's not streaming anywhere. And if you do buy it physically, it's expensive. Like it's not easily available like so many other films nowadays. All right. Yeah, I haven't even bothered looking for it since, you know, we'll, we'll get into it in a little bit. But, you know, talking about the boutique labels and all that, like, I'm not even bothering. So, all right, before we break the film down, let's do our live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana smells like teen spirit off of Nevermind. Oh, no, Rob, that's not obvious enough. Not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. All right. You knew it was coming. Top five favorite Larry Drake performances. Uh, Before I get into it, I have an honorable mention. Just one. Keep it short. American Pie 2. I just love the scene. Like the last time I saw him in something, and it's the scene in the beginning. It's, in fact, that scene brings in our first time viewings. And it's um, right before Kevin, not Kevin, uh, Jim, and uh, his, I guess, college girlfriend, his freshman year, are about to get it on. Like the, the both sets of parents break in, and the girl's father's played by Larry Drake. And he's always, I always remember the, the, the line. Emily, avert your eyes. 
That's that's what I take from that <laughs> scene. So yeah, that's my honorable mention. Uh, number five, I gotta be honest, my number four, number five are probably more obscure roles uh, or films in general. Number five was a TV miniseries from the mid '90s called The Beast, which was based off of uh, a Peter Benchley novel, same author as Jaws. Uh, it was a two night affair. I remember that much. I think it was like ABC or something. It had uh, William Peterson and um, I forgot who else was in it. And uh, well, Larry Drake plays like a, a rival fisherman or something like that. Um, and he's one of the guys going after the beast and shit. And uh, yeah, it's a villainous role. Uh, but it's it's one that I always remember when I think about Larry Drake. So. Uh, the Beast is my number five. Yeah, I don't have any honorable mentions uh, just because, to be honest, I don't remember that many of his roles. So, okay. I yeah, I, I filled out my five, but that was about it. And my number five is probably what most people would know him from, and that's uh, Benny from L.A. Law. Um, my dad watched L.A. Law back in the day. I never really watched it, but uh, I just remember him, Benny. Like, I remember my dad watching reruns. And that was the first time I'd ever saw him because when I saw when I watched Darkman for the first time, I was like, oh, Benny from uh, L.A. Law is the bad guy. That's <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, that that's probably what most people remember from. I mean, the TV show ran for a while. They did a movie afterwards. Yeah. Uh, Corbin Burnson, uh, main star. But yeah, I was never a huge fan. Like, I just watched it when my dad would have it on in the background. But that's the first thing that pops to my mind. Or one of the first things when I think of um, Larry Drake. So I had to put it on there. L.A. Law, number five, Benny. All right, number four, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, which was, I believe, a made-for-TV film. I, I believe it was a CBS film. I, I know it came out in 81, but uh, it's a film with him. I know uh, Charles Durning is also in it. And basically the gist of it is Charles Durning and a, a group of other like 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 it's like a lynch mob, uh, and, uh, what's his face? Uh, I forgot the, his character's name in the film Larry Drake, but just like the character of Benny in L.A. Law, um, uh, he he's like you know he's slow character in this in this film, and they end up killing him, and he basically comes back as this scarecrow, and uh, it's a freaky movie. One that I admittedly haven't watched in quite some time, but it was one of those films that I grew up watching a lot on um, TV with uh, my aunt, my aunt Justine. And uh, yeah, number four, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. <laughs> it's scary, uh, but my number four is also Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Okay. I was like, holy shit, what are the odds of that? Yeah, dude, like, it's good. I didn't, I didn't see that coming, but I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember liking it. Yeah. And obviously I remember him uh, from the role. But yeah, everything you said, uh, just an obscure old TV movie. But it was fun from what I remember. Yeah, it's funny enough, too, because I've been eyeing it up lately because I know um, it's on Blu-ray. Um, I forgot who put it out, though, but I, I know Soundgarden has it. And every time I go there, I always have it in my hand, but I'm always just I'm always like, do I want to spend twenty five bucks on this movie that I feel is worth ten dollars less? I probably find I always just hold off when finding like a good deal on Marcotti or eBay or something, which I know I will eventually get to because I plan on adding it to the collection. 
funny enough, they just released a direct-to-video sequel after all these years. Um, I briefly talked about it on a fewer cast months back. It looks like terrible, utter schlock. Anyway, moving on. Uh, number three, Darkman. Robert Durant. Um, the role's so nice, he played it twice. Came out, uh, came back for the second one. Darkman 2, Return of the Durant. Uh, but no, I love the whole gag where like he always takes you know one of his victims thumbs with his little cigar cutter uh stuff like that uh the fact that he's just a no nonsense no holds bar and funny enough as badass as the character is and the fact that you know he has a whole second film dedicated to him he's not the main villain in in dark man he is the main villain's henchman um who just it, and I always have to remind myself that because I, I just every time I talk about him in that role, it feels like he's the main villain of the film. He's not. In the second one, he is. Yeah, definitely. But in the first film, the original Sam Raimi film, Robert Durant's not the main villain. He's the, the villain's henchman. It's that one guy who Darkman fights on the uh, construction top at the end. But anyway, yeah, that's my number three. Draw, uh, Durant, draw, Darkman. Yeah, my number three is when he played Santa, the deranged Santa on Tales from the Crypt. Uh, that's one of the first things I remember seeing him in. Uh, it was one of the early episodes. It might have been like the second or third episode. Episode a- two, naughty yeah, it, or nice. Yeah, it was It was an early episode, but it was, God, it was iconic. Like seeing him in the Santa suit and just killing him and getting the wife, just getting what she deserves. Uh, yeah, it, it was just an awesome episode, just one of the probably most famous episodes and one that's stuck in my head. Uh, you know, I'll never forget watching that as a uh, kid on HBO. I just love that show to death and it didn't disappoint early on. And uh, yeah, that's just uh, every time I see him, honestly, I see him with a Santa suit at the time. Like it's just something that ingrained into me. And just that axe. Psycho Santa. Yeah, and the axe, the, just the Psycho Santa. Uh, no offense to the Silent Night uh, guy, but uh, yeah, Durant, or um, not Durant, Larry Drake, always uh, me. I always think of Santa as well. So yeah, Tales from the Crypt episode, episode two, just fucking awesome. Yeah, might as well keep this conversation going. My number two is uh, Tales from the Crypt as uh, the iconic killer Santa from all and all through the house. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, of all people. And the woman, the wife, is Mary Ellen Trainer, who was Robert Zemeckis' wife at the time. That's why she's in a lot of Warner Brothers films, such as she's the psychiatrist in the Lethal Weapon series. She plays Mikey's mother in The Goonies. She's just in a lot of Warner Brothers material. Well, was, unfortunately. She's no longer with us. But um, iconic just because it's it was frightening. It was my very first episode of Tales from the Crypt. And if the Crypt Keeper design wasn't scary enough at Ford's time, at you know, talking, you know, as a six year old when the series premiered. No, um the the actual Santa it, it, that episode's just freaky. And I'll I will because I own the series on DVD, I will put that on, throw it up from time to time, especially the holiday season. I watch it at least once. And it still holds up, dude. Especially when, like, 
she's trapped in the closet and you see him like climb up the, the ladder up towards his daughter's room or her daughter's room and shit and like he's like you just see his head pop up and the and shit like that and then the end scene when he's just standing there and the, the daughter let him in and she just it's Mary Ellen Trainer, and that's how the episode excuse me that's how the episode ends iconically with her just screaming no with him holding up the axe and it zooms in on her and he just holds it up and says naughty or nice I love it uh, bonus. I also want to uh, acknowledge his role as Tobias in the episode "The Guest," which is uh, or "The Secret." I'm sorry, which I believe is on season four. I think it's episode two. Uh, but no, he. It's the episode with um. The, the, this this family takes in this foster kid, and they had this secret because they always go out at night, and in the end. It's revealed that they're vampires and they always, you know, take in young foster kids and they feast on them and they, they, they get them all bucked up and shit because, uh, like, the kid can eat whatever he wants, play with all the toys he wants in the world. Tobias, Larry Drake plays the butler who befriends the boy. And then when the at the end, when the twist occurs and then the vampires go after him, he has a little twist of his own. Let's put it that way. I'm not going to reveal the whole episode but yeah he that episode always stands out um it's a top top 10 favorite of mine and of course it helps that larry drake is in it in his second role of the series as tobias so yeah 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 that that was a good episode i remember i own them all too on dvd and that was a good episode as well but yeah the santa one definitely stands above that yeah that was so awesome yep anyway uh, my number two is, of course, Durant from Darkman. Uh, you know, is it like the flashiest role? Nah, he's just, you know, he has his little quirks and Larry Drake shines through in the film. But yeah, it, it, it like you said, it's more of a no-nonsense type gangster. You know, he does have, <clears throat> also, as you said, the little cutter for his thumbs, uh, for his victim's thumbs. Yep. But yeah, it, it's memorable, though. I mean, the fact that he came back uh, for the sequel, you know, Revenge of Duran or whatever the subtitle was called, uh, you know, is a testament to that. I mean, Larry Drake definitely shined through it. It's definitely one of his biggest roles, you know, a big budget movie. I mean, you know, Dark Man, a lot of people forget, like, you know, it's a failure nowadays and kind of a more underground type movie. But back then, that was going to be like a big tentpole type movie. Like, you know, they had big plans for that and Sam Raimi and then it bombed, you know? Yep. So, but the fact that he was like, the lead villain or the lead villain's henchman, whatever the fuck you want to call him, uh, in that film was pretty big deal. It could have turned into something else, you know, if the movie did well, but yeah, Durant, uh, just one of the biggest roles for Larry Drake and obviously awesome film. So I guess that means collectively our number ones are the same. Yeah, of course. Dr. Giggles. Yeah. I mean, it, that's like right. his fucking magnum opus. <laughs> like yes. just rewatching this. He's just having like so much fun in this movie, like where, you know, Durant's awesome, but it's only up to a certain point. He's just fucking like off the hinge. Like they just he, you could tell he's just like doing whatever in every scene, just whatever's fun, like with all the fucking stupid puns and jokes and then the giggling in between and just the facial expressions in a lot of the scenes. Right, right. It, it's just you can tell he's just fucking chewing up the scenery. Like he probably had to ice his jaw at the end of the day <laughs> because I mean, Jesus Christ, he was just chewing up everything. It's the best. I love it so much. 
So much so that I want to talk about it right now. All right, so the film itself was uh, shot in Portland, Oregon, based on an original idea from Manicato's Fear of Hospitals. Manicato was the writer and director, did a lot of TV work. Um, I know he did uh, the fifth season primarily of Showtime's Dexter, and he was also an EP and showrunner of Star Trek Enterprise for its final season. So yeah, uh, the man came from TV and... He ended up in TV. And he also did um, Tales in the Crypt, the episode Morning Mess, and American Horror Story, an episode from last year, actually, called Feral. So uh, that's where our filmmaker of the hours hails from. Uh, TV land, pretty much. So, um, and I guess since we're talking about um, just credits and stuff, uh, Brian May did the music. The legendary Brian May, not the guitarist for Led Zeppelin, Brian May. Or Queen, I'm sorry. But um, I always get them two bands mixed up. But no, the composer for like Mad... He's an Australian composer, so of course he did Mad Max, Roadrunner. Um, or I'm sorry, Road Warrior. And uh, stuff like that. I know he did um, Missing in Action 2, Freddy's Dead. So yeah, Manny Cotto. And, um, or I'm sorry, Brian May, this was his final film, because uh, he passed away in 97. So back to the film at bay here, um, both Matt, Fre- Matt, Matt Frewer, Max Headroom, and Ted Danson were both considered for the role of Dr. Giggles, before it ultimately went to Mr. Larry Drake. As for the role of Jennifer, our lead heroine of the film, both Jennifer Aniston and Ashley Judd auditioned for the role. I buy into it, <laughs> especially since Aniston was trying to get her feet wet in uh, the horror genre. Of course, she would. And she did Leprechaun. She would succeed a year <laughs> later doing Leprechaun. So yeah, um, I, I, found, I never knew this until I was doing some research for this, but apparently in August of '92. The Daily Variety reported that Largo Entertainment signed an exclusive first-look deal with Dark Horse Comics to develop and produce films based on the company's comics. Dr. Giggles was the first film produced as part of the deal between Largo and Dark Horse. Now, Dark Horse in turn put out a two-issue, like, arc, I guess, based on Dr. Giggles, where apparently... There were some things added and some things changed. The opening was different. Uh, the character of Tamara was changed a little bit. Uh, the character of Max ends up dying in the end. Um, and yeah, I've, I've, you know, this was all something that I learned doing some research. So I've never firsthand seen about or seen it or read about it. Um, but since we're talking about '92, I mean. The absolute worst time to release a slasher movie. And unfortunately, that's where this film comes into play. And that's why no one saw it. And we're not going to talk yeah. numbers just yet. But, you know, numbers aside, I'm just going to let you all know this movie did not do things at the box office. It, but let in the crickets. Like, it, no one saw this movie. That's what I'm getting at. 
Um, no, I I completely forgot it even got a theatrical release. To be honest with you, because I don't remember this movie until video. Even even though I was at a young age, like I still, remember, I remember, the, I remember the TV playing. spots playing on on commercials and stuff like that for this movie. I definitely knew about it before that time when it was playing next to Three Ninjas. You know, that wasn't my like first time seeing or, or hearing about the movie. I just thought it was a cool little nugget that the film the film was. I don't know. I was eight years old. Shit like that fascinated me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. 92, though. Bad year. Bad year for the Terrible genre. Year. Yeah, because at the time, you got to think, uh, Friday the 13th and really Nightmare on Elm Street are both at their low points. You know, like, it's just everything. Yeah, was... I mean, Freddy ended up, not Freddy, Jason ended up switching, you know, companies because... Paramount saw the writing on the walls after the box office from the last two films, and they were like, uh, we gotta find a buyer for this series, because it's not getting us anywhere now. They saw, you know, how at, at the, 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 the dawn, or the, 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 the closing era, the closing whatever of the 80s, just horror in, in general, slashers, maybe not horror in general, because horror was still doing good. I mean, there was still some successful horror in the 90s, or specifically the early 90s. Bram Stoker's Dracula. But, you know, and we just talked about Sleepwalkers, which was a, a mild success, Stephen I guess you King, could call it. Yeah, Stephen King was in, uh, like, Werewolves, Vampires were in, but as far as slashers around this time, until Scream rolled around, what was Scream, 96? 96, yeah, like the yeah, Christmas, 96. Yeah, until Scream rolled around at the end of 96, and that reinvigorated everything, and that's when you got the, I know what you did last summer, and, you know, all the, all the new age uh, slashers, but until then, it was the fucking pits, whether the movie was good or not, which, honestly, if this movie was released probably five or six years earlier, or maybe 15 years later, I think this would be completely different. I think, like, a lot more people would be talking about it. But the fact that it came out in 92, just kind of sealed its death warrant, you know? Yeah, I mean, you also had Pet Cemetery 2 come out in 92, and that pretty much just broke even at the box office. Um, But yeah, uh, I don't want to talk about numbers just yet. You know we all have a... You, know, you all know we have the category for that. So, um, let's talk about the poster. So the poster for this movie has always stood out. I, I love, like, the whole top of the image is, you know, it's it's Dr. Giggles with the mask, the surgical mask, and then where the surgical mask starts, and that's where you see the title card, and then below yeah, that, the it fades into the, yeah, the scalpel with the blood streak, and then it fades into his house, the, you know, with, with him standing out front with the scalpel behind his back and the bag in the other hand. Yeah, I wanna I wanna talk about the house real quick. Like, since I'd seen this in so long, I was like, I just remember Larry Drake as a doctor in an old fucking house. I, right, like, I don't know why right. that's playing into it, but upon rewatching, it makes more sense now. But anyway, continue. I just thought that was funny. Yeah. So, um, and it, the posters always stood out. Um, it's a fucking awesome looking poster, and it is. Yeah. I I, I don't know. It's one of these days it'll come out on a label and we'll get that reverse art with this and whatever funky illustration they come up with. 
But anyway, there has to be a reason that it hasn't come out. There, like I can't imagine the fact that, that a boutique hasn't tried to get this already. So who owns the rights? Is it Universal or is it somebody else? Do you know? Oh, I, I know. I oh, I, I definitely know. Okay, forget it. We're gonna we're gonna we'll just do it now. We'll have this conversation right now. Cool. So it's owned by originally Universal put this out, and then they sold the rights to, or, or I guess it's, at some point the rights ended up with Warner Brothers. They are the ones who have the rights now. Because I when I, you know, rented this for this you know episode. That was definitely the Warner Brothers logo that came up and not Universal before the film started. Hmm. Um, but either way, it does not matter because Scream Factory, I'm pointing the finger at them. I know, I know there's various other boutique labels, but hear me out. Universal, Warner Brothers, regardless, they're still both of those labels have deals with Scream Factory. So... You know, it, it 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 it's not like, cause that's how this works. These labels usually strike deals for X amount of films, and they usually like negotiate what films before, you know, anything and it's before stuff's announced. You know, there's a whole process, you know, that, for all this, and that's how the, these things work. It's, it, a lot of it has to do with rights. That's why none of these boutique labels have digital copies with their films because they only have physical media rights, not digital. That's why Scream Factory, Shout Factory, they're only allowed to have um, regional A, A region video, or A, yeah, A region, regional A discs. That's how it's pronounced. Regional A discs. Um, and that's why they're only available in the US because foreign licenses are different than domestic and it's a whole this that and the third now I have no idea why this movie has not been out I, I, I at some point someone from Scream Factory has had to have inquired about this movie because they've inquired about so many other movies that they got the rights to there's usually when they request a film title and they come back and Nine times out of ten, the label won't give them the rights to the movie. Be it's 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 always because it's a popular title for that studio, so they want to, of course, make the revenue for themselves. But Doctor Giggles isn't a hot property, <laughs> you know. It's not like any. It's not like a movie that like there's no sequel for it coming out. It's not like I don't know. Even with the 30th anniversary. Uh, happening yeah. no one's talking about it you know and you yeah and you mentioned the fact that they don't have any digital rights so even if they're making say they got a lot of suckers that are renting it or whatever on digital the the physical really isn't going to affect that a whole lot because if somebody's big enough fan to buy the blu-ray and pony up the 25 bucks or 20 bucks whatever it's going to cost they probably already bought it digitally anyway so I, I don't see, like, a physical release cutting into, like, their digital rentals. Even if it was big, which I doubt there's a ton of people renting this movie constantly. You know, so it's just... And then they could obviously still put it on streaming on HBO Max. So I, I don't fully understand it either. I really... There must be some sort of story we don't know yet. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't get it. Like, I, I mean, it would be like an instant buy. Like, if they put this out, it would be one of those that I pre-order. 
which is very few and far between. Like, the last Shot Factory I remember pre-ordering was Dolls. Like, th that was the last movie I did. <laughs> They're few and far between for me. Damn. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, because I just buy them later when they're discounted. <laughs> That's usually what I do. So when you pre-ordered it, did you get the poster? Yeah, I got the poster and the slipcover and everything, yep. Damn. People are like... That's, out, that's been out of print for Oh, yeah, a while. It, it's valuable now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like you could probably get like at least 100 bucks off of it. For the, with the poster, too? Probably looking at like 150, 200 bucks. I'm not saying sell it. You keep that shit, Corey. Oh, hell no. I was going to say. I'll never sell anything. I'm saying, hypothetically, if you were to be curious as to how much you, you know, that stuff's worth right now, you'd be surprised at how much it's worth. For uh, Dials is one of the hottest films that I see in a lot of the forums and shit like that. People are clamoring for and shit. And usually, I sold one. Usually when someone sells it or posts it for sale, it goes within like minutes. Yeah, I, I've seen it before, too, because I peruse all the used stuff. The only thing I've ever sold out of my collection uh, that I didn't really necessarily want to sell, but it was like a good monetary gain, was my uh, real Ghostbusters Time Life set. And the reason I sold that was just because literally I could buy the same, almost the same exact discs for like 30 bucks new in a different package. <laughs> right. And I just sold my set in the Time Life because it was like the Ghostbusters... Um, station like the fire station like that's what the box looked like oh, wow. and it was in steel books and i sold it for like 450 bucks so i was like that was a no-brainer but that was the only time i've ever sold anything out of my collection like that yeah i mean right now i'm looking at i'd say some of my most valuable films that i know i could get really good money for but i'm just i'm not even I'm not even thinking of that because I love them so much. Uh, one of them definitely is my Ghostbusters Ultimate Collection that came out back in February, it's, which is that light-up case. It's it's, it's the uh, Proton Pack, uh, or the Ghost Trap uh, replica, and that's where the discs are all in, in, inserted into. All four discs have like their own slip cover. It's cool when you take the discs out. There's a green light inside that, that lights off. And it's it's going for a couple hundred bucks right now. I've, you know, it's it's I pre-ordered it. I spent a hundred bucks for it when it first came out because I pre-ordered it on uh, Amazon. So that's one. Another one that I got that's out of print and goes for a lot of money is my Beetlejuice 4K. Is like this ultimate collector's edition. It comes in like a recently deceased book. Uh, case. It looks like the the actual hardcover book of uh, that you know the recently deceased book, the handbook. Um, and it comes with like a bunch of stuff. Like I think there's like a, a couple patches and stuff like that in there, as as as, as well as the movie. Just shit like that. I'm never gonna sell it. And I love Beetlejuice and Ghostbusters too much, you know. And then like, I know currently like I just got the Fright Night 4K Steelbook. And I know that's it sold out really quick, but I pre-ordered it from Amazon, so it came in like the day of. It's still in the print. It's still in the plastic too. I haven't even looked at it yet. So, but that's those those two come to mind as like my collectible gems, you know. But you, yeah. you got fucking dolls. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, like, yeah, I got a couple. Like, I got probably a decent amount of shit that I don't even know about. Like, the other one is From Beyond. I know that one. Dude, so. you got the slipcover for it? 
not the slip. No, uh, I just got the just the standard case, but still, I know that's been out of print. It has, yeah. Pretty much a lot of those MGM films went out of print uh, within the last couple of years. Like both the Jeepers Creepers movies are out of print, as well as the um, the Poltergeist sequels, and they're all like, oh, the, the another one is um. The the three sleepaway camp movies, not not the first one, because that one you can get like ten bucks brand new on Blu-ray without a slipcover. But if you find a copy with a slipcover, especially the parts two and three, because those are out of print. Period. But if you find all three of those films with the slipcovers, usually people sell them for like two fifty, three hundred bucks, like a hundred pop. Those are probably those are. I'd probably say those are probably like the most rarest of uh, Scream Factory. F- films those are like the gold the, the holy grail of like hard to find scream factory movies but anyway we've been talking about scream factory for like 15 20 minutes now i'm not complaining about it but we could talk about dr giggles yeah, yeah the moral of the story is scream factory or i don't even give a shit who else it would be i'll even take a blue underground at this it would point. have just to be somebody scream. put out the god just put out somebody vinegar syndrome synapse and, and uh Pino Lover. I don't care who the hell it is. Just somebody put it out. Just because of the fact that it's Warner Brothers and Universal, it's most likely going to be Scream Factory. Now, the problem, real quick, and I'll wrap it up. The the issue right now is Scream Factory. It's probably the biggest bone I have to pick, and I, I'm not going to come up as a hypocrite because as a 4K advocate, I fucking love it in one hand, but I hate it in the other because it's, it's more of the same. Like, the whole flash, like, pretty much 90% of their releases this year... Scream Factory, not Shout Scream, have been re-releases, but in 4K. I know some of them are even movies that were out of print, like Child's Play and Return of the Living Dead come to mind. They were The Blu-ray was out of print and still is. But, you know, a lot of their releases this year, pretty much all of them, it's more than a lot, have been, you know, more of the same, just in a different format. You know, again, as a 4K advocate, I love it, but I also miss new releases, like new announcements, like, you know, earlier this year when they had, like, Alone in the Dark. That was a big one. I think Alone in the Dark was, like, one of... No, no, Cursed. Cursed might have been uh, one of the last, like, DVD collector's editions that they announced that was, like, new, completely new to the label, you know? Not a re-release. But that's been the most for the most part you know I was happy though they made me very happy this past August with the screen with the child's plays two and three because they were the two movies I've been wanting them to release forever it was it was always those two and Dr. Giggles I was like come on guys get on the ball with these three movies well they put out finally two and three they even put it out in 4k <laughs> that was cool too but yeah but um anyway let's reel it in back to the film uh, we open with a quote. What a better way to kick off your horror movie than an old-fashioned cliche. For extreme illnesses, extreme treatments are most fitting. Now, I don't think that's a real quote, but if it is, then... Yeah, hypocrite? <laughs> I feel like Bill and Ted right now. Hippo- Hippocrates? Hippoc- How do you pronounce this fucker's name? <laughs> Hippocrates? Hypocrisies? <laughs> Hypocrisies? No. Yeah. Is that how it's pronounced? No. Hypocrites. That's how it's H-I-P-P-O-C-R-A-T-E-S. Hypocrites. 
Okay. <laughs> well, that person said it best. So we get this really cool title card reveal. Then this opening credit sequence, which is like, I can only describe it as visually fitting and definitely a first for the slasher era. I mean, I don't think we got too many slashers opening with a fully rendered CG sequences to begin with, but it's the bloodstream with the camera following red blood cells until it ends with the heart being cut open with a scalpel. That's yeah, and you and you, th- right here, this is where you can tell this isn't just like a '90s B movie. Like they put a little bit of money into this because this looks like shit now. But back in 92, this was like fucking state of the art. Like, this is before Toy Story and shit. Yeah. Like, this is the money. You weren't opening your films with a fully rendered CG shot, especially a fucking horror movie. So, that was cool to see. And then we're introduced to Larry Drake's Dr. Evan Rendell Jr., aka Dr. Giggles. So, at first. The picture pans up to a group of normal hospital onlookers as as he's performing this quote-unquote procedure. But then it cuts back up a little bit, like a scene or two later, it's revealed that they're all like mental patients that he let out because this is not a hospital and Dr. Rendell, Rendell is not even a real doctor, but a patient. That patient is revealed to be a suit and tie that he's working on, that he captured and murdered. And seemingly cut his heart open. But yeah, dude, I couldn't believe it. It's like, first, it pans up when you first see this shot. And it's like, normal onlookers. Like, just, I don't know, college people or whatever. However, whoever the hell observes procedures like that. And then, Medical students. Medical students. <laughs> that's what I was looking for. But then, it cuts up again. And it's all like, crazy people. <laughs> like, why weren't they all crazy the first uh- shot? <laughs> I know. Well, it's like, yeah, they're playing a trick, but I mean, the you know, obviously, like, the first giveaway is the fact that the fucking guy is, like, in full clothes. Like, nobody goes into surgery <laughs> with, like, their fucking suit still on. Like, they scrub you up. Even if you're dying, they cut your clothes off. Right. <laughs> and scrub you up. But then, yeah, it's funny. You see all the crazy fuckers, like, licking the glass and all that. Like, the extras were having fun right there, you could tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, this scene, this is girl... Who's just sitting there flirting. Well, she's getting like pressed by these hands that she assumes is like her lover. But it's Dr. Giggles holding these like two arms and he's like, he should have kept his hands to himself. <laughs> he the fucking arms up. <laughs> oh god. He's like, I A, I know I'm gonna need these hands for something at some point. <laughs> so I'm gonna cut them off and fucking press this girl. Oh god, like ooh. She like screams, a- dies off screen, and then, like, the doctor of the hospital, we get him and these two guards, and he's, like, telling us, like, the patients. He let out all the patients. It's like, thanks for filling us in, because, boy, I was really starting to be confused at the group of crazies laughing and carrying on after they were perfectly still and dressed sharply in the scene before. But, yeah, Dr. Giggles, he's, like, taunting the remaining doctors through the intercom, saying shit like, laughter is the best medicine. I'm like, what the fuck? I love this guy. Laughter is the best medicine. And you hear the giggles, uh, you know, you're hearing the giggles giggles on the intercom. That can be haunting at times. Then we cut to a guy outside. He's just casually leaving the joint. It's like because so much for a lockdown. 
I, I was gonna say like they wouldn't have fucking locked it down already. Like ah, oh, the patients guy, are on the loose. He, uh, Fred's got to go home. This, like he's got to go home. It's nine to five. Dude, my man looks like he's ready to go out and party. Fucking probably go buy like an eight ball or something. Go to the club. But now he goes <laughs> to put his card in to, to get out, and like giggles, grabs his hand, and like slits his throat with the scalpel. And and when he's leaving, it's so funny. Like the the gates are so cheap looking. Oh, like yeah. you can tell it's oh, like yeah. temporary fencing with a fucking PA <laughs> at the other end pulling the gate open because the way the camera's centered, like it doesn't quite show the end of the gate. So it's def it's definitely like a fucking assistant on the other end of both those gates pulling them. Because they look like temporary construction gates, not like real automatic <laughs> gates. So it's so fucking funny looking right there. Right. I was like, they got Timmy the grip holder over there fucking pulling the fence back. It's pretty <laughs> hilarious. Timmy the grip holder. So he's taking off for his hometown of Moorhigh. And we get the shakiest helicopter shot I've ever fucking seen <laughs> of Dr. Giggles driving up this fucking mountainside. It's like... We didn't even need this shot, and it's just a- It's so stupid, you don't even see the car, it's just like- <laughs> The car's like down in the corner, they're filming the fucking forest or whatever. It's like it, Michael it's J. Fox is behind the lens operating the camera or something, like, just- What the <laughs> fuck? It seems like they're like, oh, we got a helicopter, but it's like one of those shitty little tour helicopters. Yeah. And we forgot the camera mount, so we're just gonna duct, duct tape that bitch. <laughs> it fucking Dude. like falls over the wrong way it, and now they're it, not even shooting what they think it gave me it gave me a quasi headache like it, it sucked so um yeah school's out at more high high <laughs> and we're introduced to our yeah. group of victims and survivors uh so yeah we got a bunch of these fuckers let me get let me pull up the list of these kids that we have here so well the first one i recommend recognized and i don't even, i think his name's glenn quinn the actor's name well from from, like uh, from roseanne fucking mark from roseanne that's what yeah. that's what i'm gonna call him the rest of the episode because that's what he is to me is mark from roseanne because that you literally even literally i think is wearing the same fucking clothes he wore on roseanne like that i wonder if jacket. he was filming yeah i wonder if he was filming roseanne and then just came over here afterwards <laughs> Probably had the person. same wardrobe. He just walked from one set to another in the same clothes. Yeah, he literally looks exactly the same. Because Roseanne, he was on Roseanne around this time. He was uh, Becky's uh, boyfriend and then, I think, husband. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he looks exactly the fucking same. Like, it's not even a different character. Like, he kind of acts and talks the same, too. So, yeah, he's Mark from Roseanne from here on out. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, unfortunately passed away December 3rd 2002 at the age of 32 oh shit I didn't know he was dead damn yeah he uh, died of an uh, accidental drug overdose uh, sucks uh, yeah I'm sorry no <laughs> I, I didn't realize he died no I yeah. yeah I knew he had been no longer with us it's just uh yeah man shit sucks so they, they, they filmed this at Franklin High in Portland <laughs> I'm sorry, I just like what? I'm not gonna I shouldn't say it, but I was like that explains why he wasn't on the Connors, I was wondering. I mean hey, oh, it is true. I think they killed him all well they didn't kill him all, but they I think they wrote it to like he had died or something. I think. Yeah, I, I didn't watch that show that much, but I was like it makes sense everybody else came back for Right, right, right. Um So yeah, back down back to the kids. So we got uh let's see, the first one I noticed was this guy, Stu. 
So this guy who plays Stu, it's like Darren Hames, I think that's his his name or something like that. Um, he's he's got this distinct look. Like, believe it or not, this dude still has the same hair. Like these like little oh the fucking poodle hair. The poodle hair, yeah, man. Shit's still going on with him today. Um, he's just a little wrinkly. Still rocking the poodle hair. Yeah, he does a lot of TV work. But I remember this guy. <laughs> like, we need a guy with poodle hair. Call, call, <laughs> what's his fucking name? I remember him around the same time as this film. He was in Night of the Demons 2. Played a character named Z-Boy. Those are the two things I remember about him. <laughs> Z-Boy. Z-Boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. So, yeah. that He's the one who stood out. Plus, he was also in the film PCU. Those are, like... The two roles. Uh, yeah, he wasn't that. Yeah. 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 And then his girlfriend, Diane, played by Deborah Tucker. I remember her from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. She played one of, uh, um, what the hell is Christina Applegate's name in that movie? I don't Re- know. All Ma- I remember Mary's, is Rose. Ma- <laughs> right on top of that, Rose. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she played Nicole, one of her friends, who, like, helps out at the end when she, when she has like, that, that fashion show or some shit like that. She like she's one of the girls who comes to help model for that big event that she has the corporate whatever. Um, yeah, her name is Swell. It's a weird name. And then Dougie Doug, fucking Dougie hey, Doug, Dougie Doug. I remember him from Class Act. That's the first time I saw him. Was Cool uh, Runnings, man. Who doesn't think of Cool Runnings when they think of Dougie Doug? Well, Cool Runnings came out two years after Class Act in this film. Cool Runnings was ninety four. This Fuck, was, I saw Cool Runnings before I saw this. this. Was 92, so, so, you know. Um, yeah, of course, everyone's... Oh, no, 93 was Cool Runnings, not 92. So, this was before that. And then, um... Eight-Legged Freaks? And then... Yeah. He, he was also in the, the, the updated Cosby show. Not to bring him up on this podcast, but he was also in the, the 90s variety of the Cosby show. I think it was just called Cosby at that point. He was on that. So, yeah, Dougie Doug, though. Dougie's fun. Dougie's a funny guy. Um, couldn't tell you who plays his girlfriend, Lee. Have no fucking idea. Yeah. Denise Barnes. Let's just say Dougie and, Dougie and his girlfriend adhere to the slasher rule in this film. Let's just leave it at that. Well, if you go to Denise Barnes' IMDb, it's literally this, this credit. And her trivia says, Denise Barnes is known for Dr. Giggles. It's <laughs> like, so thank you for clarifying that. Those. Couldn't uh. tell by the one fucking credit, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So, yeah, those are our um, victims for this film for the most part. Um, Jennifer and her doctor, Dr. Chamberlain, apparently he's the town doctor. They're getting together about her heart valve being replaced, a little pre-op, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, the, the character of Jennifer, the, the the lead heroine in this film, uh, uh, Holly Mary, uh, Holly Mary Combs, Holly Marie Combs, that's her name. Holly Marie Combs plays Jennifer, and she has heart problems, and, I don't know, there's a lot of heart shit going on in this movie that's all i'm gonna say well it's funny there's one that's the one weird thing in this movie she has heart problems but it never really comes into play never it never affects her 
So it's just basically people saying she has heart problems. Even later on when she downs <laughs> an entire bottle of wine to herself. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was waiting for it to kick in, like, at the end where she's, like, about to kill Dr. Giggles or something. Yeah. And her heart gives out or some shit. But, yeah, never fucking plays into it. So I guess it's only there to make uh, Dr. Giggles obsessed with her. Yeah, I guess that's the only reason it's there. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's all. Like, this scene is just to, you know, tell the audience, hey, our main girl has heart issues. Better get used to never it. Never gonna see it. It's like the mom in the room. She's got the cancer, but yeah, you're never going to fucking tell. Oh, yeah, she's definitely got the cancer. So we cut to Dr. Giggles, who is now in his childhood home, and he's in the basement knocking down walls and shit because this house apparently has a full-fledged doctor's office in it. So well, I, don't, I don't think it's that weird because it was in the 50s where his dad practiced, but uh, the weirdest thing I thought of is you have this fucking haunted, abandoned house, and apparently it's like at the end of a cul-de-sac. Because like the woman's walking her dog, <laughs> you see, like you see the main uh, girl like fucking walking home from school. Like right. everybody's just walking by this house. Like, yep, weird fucking Pennywise murder house. No, nothing to see here. Yeah, so it was actually a house that was built on a parking lot at Metzger Park in Metzger, <laughs> right outside of Portland. They put no fucking shit. Like it, it doesn't. It, I, let me just say this: when it look, when they say they want it to look like it's at the end of the cul-de-sac, it doesn't fucking look like it looks like a movie set and then a fucking neighborhood. Like it, it looks so ridiculous. It's in a park. To make it look like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they put it there because uh, it's a facade that they built so they could blow it up at the end of the film. Um. So yeah, Jennifer walking home stops to hear the banging sounds <laughs> coming outside. <laughs> And then she bumps into, like, the, the neighborhood Karen, Mrs. Henderson, who tells Jennifer that her heart monitors a funny-looking radio. So, yeah, Holly Marie Combs. Uh, outside of this, a lot of people probably remember her from Charmed, even though I've never that's seen an I, episode of that show. I, yeah, I've never watched it either, but I've seen enough, like, just glimpses of it that I was like, ah, oh, shit, that, that's the girl from Charmed. Yeah, I've never watched it, but she's, like, the main character on the show. She's like all over the fucking uh, ads for it and all that stuff. So I just remember clicking through TV and seeing like ads or seeing glimpses of it as I clicked through the TV. And that's how I fucking. Yeah, because this was also the same time that she was on that TV show um, Picket Fences. She played the daughter of Thomas Garrett's character on that show. Uh, Then she would go on, like I said, Charmed. She would make an appearance in The Craft a couple years later, I think. Is she in The Craft? I don't know. No, no, not The Craft. I'm sorry. Ocean's Eleven. She has that cameo, that, that weird cameo in the beginning with uh, a bunch of other people playing themselves, like Topher Grace, I think it's one of them. Yeah, Shane West, Topher Grace, they're all like playing poker. Joshua Jackson, I think, is also there. Because it's like the... I think it's Brad Pitt's character is doing like yeah, this yeah, weird yeah. celebrity ring. I haven't seen Ocean's Eleven yeah. in quite some time. I just vaguely remember her no, being I, in it. I remember that scene, yeah. So, yeah. And, um, so yeah, uh, Jennifer goes back home. We get a glimpse of the relationship between her and her dad <laughs> and stepmom, yeah, Tamara. The first time I'm watching this, I was like, is that really supposed to be her goddamn mom? That was before it revealed that her real mom had died. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I thought it was just shitty casting at oh, first. Oh, God, I was like, can you imagine? Girl looks like she's like <laughs> 10 years older than her, right. five years older than her. 
I mean, Christ, the, the, Michelle Johnson here plays Tamara. Just a few years before, uh, just a few years prior to this, she was playing a high school student herself in waxwork. So yeah, uh, her father, who uh, just, I guess, couldn't find the time to pick up his daughter and bring her home, knowing that she has yeah, heart the problems. Doctors, because yeah. <laughs> like, he's just chilling, right? And it's weird, and he's just hanging out and. Um, uh, Cliff the Young, who was uh, from the, the Hunger, big Hunger fan. He was, uh, uh, what's her face, um, Susan Sarandon's boyfriend uh, in that movie. Uh, where else was he in? He was, I feel like he was in something else, too. Ah, yes. Connoisseur 2. Corey, where are you out on Connoisseur 2? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen Carnosaur 1, so I'm not 100% that I've ever seen Carnosaur 2. But I remember seeing the uh, cover art for it quite a bit back in the day. The oh, Dinosaur. yeah, all three of them. There were three of those fucking movies. So, yeah. anyway. Um, Giggles breaks into that office I was talking about down underneath his basement, and we get our first flashback of him as a child with uh, his father coming home and watching as his son's performing surgery on a stuffed animal. And uh, cut back to present, he looks at a photograph of his father and says that the town killed him. He's going to make him pay after we see him take some files. And uh, this is when a group of Jennifer's friends from earlier, they all come at the the house they break in. And uh, yeah. All right, Corey, let's get that cliche checklist out and go down the ones uh, we've got covered in this film so far. So we opened up with a quote, check, and now there's an old nursery rhyme about Dr. Giggles as they're walking into the house. This fucking guy, Stu, recites this goddamn Freddy Krueger ask one, two, Freddy's coming for you type shit. Town's got a doctor and his name is Rendell. Stay away from his house because he's the doctor from hell. He chopped up his patients, every last one, and he cut out their hearts purely for fun. And I'm like, okay, man, we're just going down the list of all the fucking hard cliches. Pretty soon we're going to have a fucking, like, rap song in the end credits with, like, Larry Drake rapping with the whoever is doing the song. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, at this point, when I was re-watching this, I was like, oh, God, this movie's gonna fucking suck. I was like, it, we already got all the fucking cliches. The shitty teens that I don't care about are already in the shitty fucking house. It's like, I'm not gonna like this movie again, am I? And then, yeah, obviously, shit gets a lot better after these fuckers all die. But, uh, yeah, it's the whole fucking old house and the fact that they're just exploring it for some reason, I guess. So they can fuck over Dougie Doug and his girlfriend, I guess. I don't know. I, I'm still not clear on that 100%. Well, so we got Stu, Diane, Trotter, and Lee who are knocking on the walls in the house trying to quote unquote <laughs> yeah, find Dr. Giggles. Stu, Stu knocks on a. F- he goes to a fucking exterior wall <laughs> yeah. to look for a, car- or for a passageway. I'm like, even if he. The hell we know works. he's. We know he's there just to play a prank on Dougie Doug or whatever, but, like, even so, like, go to a fucking interior wall, yeah. you dumbass. Yeah. Don't go to an exterior. That's, that was, like, the first thing that I said to myself was, wait a minute. 
that's a window. We're not stupid. <laughs> so, right next to a window. So this is stupidity at its finest. Uh, Stu and Diane lock the other two in the closet, and they take off giggling and shit like. For some reason, I still. I don't. Is this like? Is this like an act of racism or something? Like, what are we doing here? (laughs) Seriously, different than us. Lock them in there. The two white people lock the two black people in the closet and boogie, like leaving them in there to like starve or whatever. Like it's fucked up. So they never fucking mention them again. Like none of the characters mention these fuckers again. Well, the same can be said about Stu and Diane. They're never mentioned either. They we, we see what happens to them <laughs> coming true. up, and that's it. <laughs> They're fucking gone from this movie. Like, yeah, these fucking friends are, like, the worst friends in the world. So, yeah. Probably uh, why I like this movie. These fuckers die and then have to get mentioned again. <laughs> right. Just waiting on Mark. That's it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, fucking... Giggles is, like, suiting himself up in clothes that fit his overweight body after all these years. And he's like... Get- What's his dad's, right? I thought he was getting his dad's shit. Is it his dad's? Yeah, I assumed all the shit he has is his dad. Like, all the shit he used to torture the uh, town folk and all that. Get up. You're right. That was stupid. Because the last time he was at this house, he was like eight. So... Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Don't hurt me. Don't... Don't leave me alone, okay? I overthink sometimes. That's the fucking logic problem you have in this movie. No, <laughs> about a, a escape, uh, mental patient coming back to a haunted it, house it in was, a small town. It was a mild note that I wrote down, Corey. It's not my pick with this film. I have no qualms with it. I love this movie. Doesn't matter. So, get ready to take your medicine, more high. The doctor is in. So we get this fucking death scene. It's suddenly nighttime out, and. Lee and Trotter are in the closet and they're trying to get out and they're banging and shit and like she's telling him like you get us out of here you, you can get some ass and he's like he first he fucking plays like he pretends they hear giggling and they see a, sh- a silhouette of someone from the crack and they think it's Stu coming back for him and shit so Trotter goes along with it and pretends like he just got like stabbed or something like that cause he like goes and peeks through the keyhole or whatever and pretends like he got stabbed in the eye and reveals that he was just fucking around so he definitely ain't getting ass tonight meanwhile while he's laughing it off and shit you see this needle come through the, the hole and like this little right before it pricks him you see a little bit of like green come out of it so I'm, I'm assuming that's like what embalming fluid or something that he gets him with because whatever the fuck it is like it, or antifreeze it, or some it, shit it destroys him and he's like dead within uh, seconds yeah. he dies in fucking seconds because that's how that shit would work but yeah either way it's it's pretty funny like the fucking needle just pops on through he's like boink and then whatever it is Dougie Doug's dead whatever it is he has a whole he has like a fucking vial of it because like after he opens up the door like you see him like take the needle and like and you know, fill it up with more. And then the, the, the scene just ends with him, like, approaching her, and she screams. Funny! Get me out of here! just joking! Holy shit!
I'm not really seeing patients yet. But I guess I can make an exception. <laughs> the neighborhood Karen, Miss Henderson, hears the screaming from across the street. And apparently, you know, for being like in her mid-70s, she's got like ears that you can't believe. Like she's got ears like a fucking hawk. And takes her dog out for a walk, heads across the street, and she's greeted by this surprise at the keyhole. Kind of like Child's Play 2 a couple years prior to this. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Peekaboo! The, it, it looks so funny, and then uh, I just want to say, like, uh, you know, stereotypes are born out of uh, some truth, and this movie absolutely lives to that. Of course, the black couple gets it first. Like, they're the first out of all the friends that's got to oh, get it. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. You're right. Time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, you're, when you're watching it, you're like, oh, it's so cliche. Well, this is probably one of the movies that helped blend that with the cliche. Oh, of yeah. course. So, yeah, like I said, nighttime, the peephole shit. There's a big get-together at the... At, somewhere. <laughs> All the, uh, I think it's the carnival. <laughs> All the teens are together and shit. It's like a point lookout. Like, your cliche, like, everyone gets together and romances over one another. School's over. It's summertime. Fuck it, right? So Jennifer and Max, they arrive, and all he wants to do is drink to have fun. He even offers her some booze with her uh, crippling heart. I'm like, hmm. Knowingly knowing your girlfriend has this heart condition, you're going to offer her that fucking whiskey. You're a real swell guy. So I noticed that he opens it up, takes a squig, and then after she declines, he just fucking wastes it and chucks the whole entire bottle away, pissed off. At least we see that from this girl Corrine's angle and shit like well, that. Here's here's what I want to say. Yeah, the other girls that are like way far behind, they're like, <laughs> sounds like there's trouble in paradise. I'm like, how the fuck could you even hear them? They're like fucking hundreds of feet away. And they're just sitting in the car. Like, you see the fucking mark from Roseanne. They've got ears and, like eagles too. Yeah, but like they're just sitting in the car. Like, they don't even look like they're fighting. And the girl's like, trouble in paradise. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> Plot convenience, like they know because they have to know. Like, <laughs> at least yeah. make them, at least make it look like obvious that they're fighting. Come on. Yeah, we got this nine zero two one ho Corrine and her fucking silent friend who just tags along throughout the fucking movie, except for one scene, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, yeah, and this fucking these cops break it up, and I fucking love how this cop's playing parties over. <laughs> by uh, Kristen Vigard to just chase off these kids and shit. It's like an old school tactic. It's hilarious. And yeah, a little uh, old school music and a megaphone really gets the town out of there. So Mrs. Henderson's death, like we see Dr. Giggles like swap out her fucking pills. So she has like this reaction <laughs> to it. And then like she calls. She had a red pill and a blue pill. Right. Was, like she's fucking Morpheus now or some shit. And then, like, she calls for a doctor, and all of a sudden, boom, he shows up right behind her. Dr. Giggles, that is. And we get this wicked POV shot from her mouth that looks like a, it looks like a quarter of the budget went towards this shot. Because they had to, like, whip up this fucking fake inside mouth to, like, set the camera out of. Like, it's cool. Don't yeah. get me wrong. A lot of these shots are unique for, uh a boring slasher film from the 90s. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, for the jokes I've made so far... The, they take artistic movie, choices in this movie. They really do. They I do. gotta give it to them. 
and it looks a step above a cheap horror movie from the 90s because trust me there's some shit out there i mean i've watched a they lot knew of what they were working with they time. were like how can we make this how can we spruce this up you know but all the effects in this movie for the most part work like it, it, it looks good i'll agree like, with there's that a, yeah, it, it uh, most of it holds up. Like it, it still looks pretty good today, and you could tell they spent a little money on it because I've seen some cheap shit. I mean, just an ex- as an example, you ever seen the movie uh, Ice Cream Man? Clint Howard. Clint Howard, yeah, of course. Uh, that was another one uh, that from the early '90s that I watched as a kid and I liked, and I rewatched it a few years back. Oh god, it's fucking terrible. I mean, is it? No offense to Clint Howard. It is the fucking most boring, shitty-ass movie I, know, I have ever seen. I know seen. Vinegar Syndrome put it out a few years ago. I know, and I, I'm i glad I didn't fucking buy it, because it <laughs> is bad. Like, I rented it, and, oh, God, it is, like, horrendous. Like, oh. my child, I'm like, God, I can't believe I like this shit. It's just boring. Like, just nothing happened. Because, like, Olivia like, Hussey's cool- in it. Yeah, it had a cool cover, but that was it. So I, I was worried that Dr. Giggles was going to be that, but nah, that, that, this movie's fucking a million times better. So just an example right there. It's just, it's very easy for all this shit to look terrible and just be boring and cliche, but this movie, other than the opening parts, really takes it away from there. And the effects, yeah, look good. Like, you can tell he spent some money on it. Oh, yeah. Sure. And then afterwards, we get this special effects shot, because the way he kills her is, like, he takes this, like ginormous like scope that he inserts into her nostril and jams it up into her fucking head and it looks oh, yeah. like an effect from Total Recall the Schwarzenegger Total Recall the scene where he has to put, take the fucking red beam and like pull it from his nostril you know what scene I'm talking yeah. about it, oh, yeah. it looks like that effect which is pretty cool uh, so yeah he kills her and then the two cops who broke the party up check out the old Rundle house. And uh, this scene is just chock full of all the exposition dialogue you can handle. Fuck, <laughs> I'm serious, man. Like These cops, man, both who clearly know the story, but still feel the need to recite the backstory anyway. Well, now, so the younger cop, uh, I don't know the cop's name, but the, Reitz. you know, there's the old... It's, it's Reed yeah. and MacGruber. Yeah, so uh, the old cop MacGruber, fucking, who's been in the town the forever, most common which is, cop's name in the book, MacGruber. Yeah, MacGruber. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know he's you no, know, he knows the whole story. He's been around in the town, and you have the younger cop, Reitz. But the younger cop's like, "Oh, what's the story?" But then halfway through, he's like, "Oh yeah, I know the story." Yeah, and he starts reciting That's shit. What I said, like, well, do you, do "You fucking know it or don't know it, Reitz? Like, come on." Because I said that. Cause I was like, okay, of course he's gonna tell him the guy's new in town, blah blah blah. And then he's like, yeah, I know that story. And so he starts reciting it too. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what the fuck, dude? Like, why <laughs> are like, we oh, getting this that, scene then? Seriously, that doctor you're talking about, right? Yeah, that evil doctor in the haunted house. Now you're talking. Oh man, so yeah, on the way out, one of the cops, it's it's Reitz, the the black cop, notices a small piece of green scrubs that was ripped off and left on the wall. So, yeah, this relationship between Max and Jennifer is a bizarre one. They're at the carnival in this Ferris wheel, and the two things I look for are this. That Max is bored. I'm sorry, the two things that I took from this scene are this. One, Max is bored to death, and Jennifer's had one too many medical coincidences happening to her in this lifetime between her mother's death 
and her own cardiology issues. Like, then she comes home to hearing her dad and stepmom screwing before she just <laughs> drops her heart monitor into the fish tank. It's like, what do they consider it so and so? Like, you know, those things aren't cheap. She's got, she's pissed off at the world. I guess I can say, I can understand why, but I don't know. She's just too mad. Well, I mean, Mark from Roseanne is kind of a dick. Well, he is. And then her dad's banging fucking college kids. So, yeah, I could understand her being mad. But still, your cry for help is to drop your heart monitor. You need that. What happens if you go, if you go like AFib or something? To be fair, I mean, nothing fucking ever happens to her, apparently. So, I guess she figures she'll be all right. (laughs) We keep hearing about this girl and her heart issues, but we we see nothing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nothing. Not a like, single not heart like, attack. Not even like just like oh, I need to sit down for a minute or no, something exactly. like that. Exactly. Nothing. Nope. Ah, yes. So then we get Stu and Diane's death scene. Oh boy. Um, goody, goody, goody. Hello, 1992, filled with mom lingerie, bizarre condom treatment, and Doctor Mario. Yeah, like, hold on, is Stu from a fucking other planet? Like, what teenage boy doesn't know what a condom is? Like, he's looking at it like it's fucking, like, from space. Like, I I just can't believe the fact that, like... And then who goes to another room to put the condom on? Like, who? I I mean, I've been... I don't know. I I put on many condoms in my day. I've never been, like, in a bed with a girl. We're getting hot and heavy. Time for the condom. All right, go to the fucking bathroom and put it on and do some shit. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. I just fucking put it on right there. Yeah. I, it, it's funny because 92 when I first saw this movie, or actually it was probably 93 by the time I got around to it, um, when it came out on video, I, I, dude, I was eight years old. I had no clue what a fucking condom was. My, introdu- oh, yeah. my introduction to condoms was this movie. And this motherfucker's tree. Coneheads. And this motherfucker's Chewing gum? Nah. That's funny too, but it knows this one. It, this motherfucker's poor handling with a toothbrush of all things. Like, what, what, I, I just didn't understand it. And to this day, I don't understand the toothbrush part of it. Like, why are we going through it with, with a toothbrush? Why not just pick the fucker up? Like, seriously, I mean, it's done for anyway. You've ruined it, I guess. Um, I, I don't know. But then the biggest, the, the biggest eye raising just question I have is what, what's with the hat? Why you gotta put the hat back on? Like he literally puts <laughs> his fucking hat back on to go in for the fucking the sex and like it, 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 me, I said, so we, should, we should go back to Diane. Meanwhile, she's putting on the lingerie and she feels a draft. It's cold. She goes to the thermostat. 65 degrees. So she goes to change it and then suddenly, of course, giggles right behind her and he holds his hand over her mouth so she, she, she can't scream, of course, naturally. But then he tells her to open up and say, ah, because he's got to take a temperature. And he takes out this massive fucking thermometer with a razor sharp tip at the end that clearly he's not going to just use to take her poor temperature. So she allows him to do this thing where she, you know, she opens up her mouth or her tongue and shit and says, doesn't say ah, but before she can say ah, he just shoves his thing through her goddamn mouth and kills her. And, um, yeah, Stu, 
he goes in for it, thinking that Diane's in bed waiting for him. You know, she's <laughs> laying there in the mo- his mom's lingerie. Oh God, he's like crawling through the covers like it's a fucking adventure. <laughs> he, he even says he even talks about how much he's been dying for this since he once saw his mom's lingerie, uh, Victoria's Secret catalog. Swiped for my mom's suitcase before she and dad left for vacation. You expect me to wear this? Look, right now my mom's probably pretty pissed off, not to mention my dad. Don't let their pain be in vain. Okay. But if I'm dressing up, so are you. So, yeah, he goes in, and then suddenly it's Dr. Giggles, and he's like, I hope you want protection. And then, like, you just hear this, ah, and then, like, we cut down to the kid downstairs playing Dr. Mario, and finally, he hears something that makes him stop to look up. And then we cut back to the bedroom, and we get this, like, circular panning shot upward of fucking poor Stu with his dick cut off in bed and blood just running down his crotch area. And Giggles just standing there like, fine job, fine job. And he goes to leave and he stops the fucking boy playing Dr. Mario. And then he just goes, terminal. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, just a cop out because this is the 90s where uh, we're not not killing kids yet. That kid's just minding his own business, you know, connecting the color pills together. Yeah. And let me just say, like, I love Dr. Giggles in this scene. Like, it's just the ridiculousness, but it's so funny. Like, okay, so he adjusts the thermostat and then fucking stands there knowing that uh, what's-her-name is going to get cold or somebody's going to get cold at some point and come to look at the thermostat. Right. And then he knows that Stu's going to get under the covers, so he gets under the covers. <laughs> And it's just fucking waiting there. Like, I just love, like, Dr. Giggles, he is, like, fucking Nostradamus. Like, he just knows everything that's going on here and how to uh, react. Like, earlier with the hands. Like, he just knew that girl was going <laughs> to expect the hands with the ring. Right. Like, uh, you know, he is a fucking mastermind. Like, I He's mean, good, man. It's just... He's a good one. <laughs> but the covers, see, it's just fucking hilarious <laughs> watching Larry Drake lay there. Like, just the expression <laughs> on his face. I'm just like, oh, God, I can't. Oh, I literally man. just started laughing loud as shit when I start, was watching this the other night. I was surprised I didn't wake anybody up at that scene. <laughs> and it's 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 sur- it's surprisingly bright underneath of his covers for being in the dark room. <laughs> it's lit perfectly. It is, yeah. isn't it? Oh shit! So, uh, Tom, Jennifer's father, he finds the heart monitor in the aquarium, as well as an empty bottle of wine, and he goes to find her. Goes, he goes, yeah, goes out to look for her, and Tamara won't come. She just stays behind. She's not having any of this shit. She's like, ah, fucking daughter in the way. Daughter's only a few years older than me, and she's a few years younger than me, and she's already getting in between us. So, I'm not entirely sure if Tom and Tamara are married or just dating at this point. <laughs> I'm really not sure at all. And to be honest with you, I don't think the movie is either. Um... But they're together, and we know that much. But uh, I, I think we can have our Michelle Johnson conversation here. Now, I brought her up recently on an episode. I forgot which one. They all kind of blend in when you're recording this this much uh, podcast. But um, 
No, waxwork. Um, yeah, she's she's just another one of those women that I had a big crush on when I was younger. Um, her her big breakout role was Blame It on the Rio, the uh, Michael Caine and uh, Denny Moore film. But uh, Death Becomes Her, Dr. Giggles, Far and Away, Waxwork. That was another one, big one that I mentioned, Waxwork. Uh, she played the uh, the blonde who dies in the vampire segment. But uh, yeah, do you have any memories at all of Michelle Johnson or is she just another actress? Doesn't mean shit to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen Waxwork, but yeah, I, I never had a crush on her. She never really stood out to me. Gotcha. Nobody in this movie does other than fucking Mark and Dougie Doug. Now, around this time, like the early 90s, around this time specifically, like 92, 93, um, I was definitely crushing on Michelle Johnson, as well as actress Brenda Bakke, who uh, was in this film, Death Spa. But I remember her from Under Siege 2. She was... Uh, my first time seeing her was Hot Shots Part Deux, and uh, she was uh, she Tales of the Crypt Demon Knight. She played the uh, the prostitute who's uh, banging Thomas Hayden Church. <laughs> so yeah, those were the two actresses around this time that I was crushing on. So anyway, um, she's pissed off, and what do you do when you're pissed off and you're a female? I guess you turn to ice cream. Yet yet you hate eat your fucking vanilla or chocolate ice cream and she's she's taking hate eat to a whole new level she's even fucking throwing ice cream on the goddamn mirror and shit like she ain't having any of it <laughs> no, she's like <laughs> trying to clean it off and, she, yeah. and like let me just say like this is the meltiest fucking ice cream I've I ever know. seen come out of a freezer I was like what they need to get their fridge looked at <laughs> Jesus Christ fuck a doctor they need a repairman in that bitch uh, that's great yeah so yeah giggles pops up behind her and he, like, straps her to this fucking chair with a quickness and then, like, you know, covers her mouth and shit. And he takes out this goddamn machine that has, it's like, it's it's like a, it's a snake. It's essentially a fucking snake that he pulls out that you put down a goddamn, like, disposal or something or, or a pipe, you know, something you use to, like, unclog your drain. So he's proceeding to jam this down her throat and um turns it on and it's it's nasty and it, 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 he has it all come out into the ice cream and cause he's like lecturing her on eating ice cream and how it's like bad for her and shit and we gotta get that out of you it's you know, you know how fattening this is and then he's he makes the one zinger that I always remember from this movie this is the one line I always take from this movie I know I know it sucks. Not to worry. We'll get it out of your system. 
I have a saying. What goes down must come up. <laughs> yeah, I know the the puns never stop. They and don't. I just love the fact that he has this thing like with him, like this fucking yeah. basically water he's pump. Always got the right tools. <laughs> yeah, he's always ready for the right situation. Hell yeah! So, uh, cause he happened, he knew she was gonna be mad eating ice cream. He had just the tool for that. So, uh, this Max and Corrine scene. Where the, the horny fucks of Morhai have relocated their sexual tendencies from Point Lookout to the high school band room? I have so many questions. Like, why they're together? Why Corian's friend is just sitting there looking on until they make out? And why the hell is she performing fellatio on a fucking saxophone? I don't know. This whole scene is goddamn this, weird. This is a fucking awkward scene to watch. <laughs> and, and it just makes Mark look like a fucking dick. Oh, he so, is. I mean, we it, established that like when Mark he tried to get her a drink. There's only, like, there's only two characters I actually, like, are likable in this film. And one of them's Dr. Giggles, ironically. <laughs> so, <laughs> the one going around like, killing people. He's the most likable person in the whole fucking movie. Yeah, well, second most, but yeah. <laughs> Alright, second most. So back at the house, Giggles finds Jennifer's heart monitor, which triggers another flashback to his father crying over his dead mother until suddenly the two of them start laughing together until it cuts back the giggles laughing himself before he takes her picture and says that Morhai can wait because he wants to make his father proud aww we see uh, the spotlight coming from the carnival and so does giggles so he heads there thinking that's where she is spoiler alert it is and yeah, Jen finds Max with Corrine because the girl who Corrine, her like sidekick who we don't hear from, she just stands around awkwardly throughout this movie. She actually does something here. When the two of them start making out, she gets pissed off and leaves. Well, she goes to fucking see Jennifer to tell her a little bitty about these two. And yeah, so... She tells him about these two. She, Jennifer goes to the band room and proceeds to get pissed off. I mean, how else would she react to this scene? Um, and it, it leads to like they get they 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 take off, including her dad. She sees her dad and runs into this mirror maze. That's right. And then Max Corrine. And Dr. Giggles all follow her into this max, this max, this uh, mirror maze. Now, I fucking love this sequence and how it's shot. It's so unique. You've got a little De Palma mixed in. You've got like this weird sideshow angle going on with the mirrors and the visuals. And like, I don't know about you, but this is a front runner for MVP shot of the film. Jen! 
Jennifer, come on, I saw you come in here. Just let me talk to you. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Jennifer? Jennifer? You broke my heart, Max. Max. And some things just can't be fixed. Jennifer, wait! Matt! Like this, this, yeah. this, uh, this might be my finger looking good moment because I was just in awe of just how this sequence was shot. Like this movie, this this sequence has no business being in this fucking movie for as good as it is. Yeah, it's really well done. Yeah, it's definitely one of the standout parts of the movie, the mirror maze, because I totally did not remember any of this. Uh, Neither did you know, I. And then upon rewatching it, but you know, nowadays I have more appreciation for you know camera work and just the way scenes are put together and shot composition. So yeah, it stands out a lot more now than when I was a kid. Uh, so, but yeah, it is definitely confident. Like it's definitely a really well put together scene. I mean, it's so easily could have just turned into your stock shot of reflections everywhere right. and just BS. So yeah, it, it looks good. And I always yeah. remember there was a mirror scene like like this, this mirror maze. Cause I remember like the the, the next death we're going to talk about. I remember that death that always stood out to me. And I remember it always taking place in this, like I said, this like mirror maze. So, but I don't remember it being shot the way it was. And it, it just left me fascinated. It was so good. I rewound it and watched it again. Cause it was, it was fucking great. Um, so, yeah, he finally, he catches up the giggles, finds Corrine, and then, yeah, because she, like, runs after Max, and she smacks her face right into this mirror, like, head first, she's like, oh, Max, run, run, boom, and then she falls back a little bit, nose is bleeding, giggles finds her, sees the blood, and it cuts to, uh, well, I think it cuts back to Jennifer, who's just fine. She finds this, like, trap door, like this revolving door or whatever, and she goes around in it, and then she comes out the other side. And then this revolving door, how the hell did it get to Corrine's reveal so fast? Like, in five seconds, like, Corrine comes back and flips around again and there's Corrine with the like the, the ginormous band-aid covering her entire head. Um yeah, it's like how did he get her body up there so quickly? Cause you literally see Jennifer come through the revolving door. The revolving door goes back to its normal place and then literally five seconds later it turns again and then it's 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 Marine or Corrine just stuck to it with this massive band-aid. <laughs> so Yeah. I love the massive band-aid. It's like, where do you even get that? Like, it, it, I don't know. It's just, I love the novelty. Everything he uh, has is just, is just blown up out of proportion to, like, an extreme. Like, every all of his oh, tools yeah. are just enhanced. Um, so Jennifer runs out into the woods, but because she's the final girl and we've got a third act to get to, she's going to trip and take a fall before Giggles catches up to her. And... Kicks him in the head before running into officers Reitz and Magruder. Literally runs into them like they they hit her in their car. So 
the film then cuts to more high the police precinct with uh, Reitz pushing the Rendell Jr. story until Magruder finally reveals how Evan Jr. escaped the house. He was... Uh, I love this scene. Yeah. So you were talking about the mirror scene. This is one of my favorite scenes, the flashback. And it it just might be a flashback with uh, MacGruber and fucking young giggles, but I love the whole scene, like of the cop going, being spooked and going down, and the right. kid coming out. Oh my god, it looks so awesome! Like they did a great job with this. Yeah, this like, shot. Oh my god, like so. Yeah, yeah, because like he goes down, and he, he's it's his mother's dead corpse, and literally he's is. His father hid him inside. That's how he snuck him out. He snuck him out through his mother's dead body. left of his wife's corpse. So you just see like this little boy like escape through his mother's body through with the scalpel like cutting her stomach open and like he comes out just full of blood and carnage and shit and he's got this creepy fucking look and laughing shit and like it, it, and Magruder's and just passed he just ends up passing out from the he's shock. He's a fucking bitch. It's a terrible cop. He just fucking passes out. I mean, he's lucky that little giggles didn't fucking kill him. I mean, it's kind of dumb. Uh, but I love the kid that plays the young Dr. Giggles because, like, yeah, you know, most good. people won't admit this, but he's good. And uh, the thing most people won't admit is kids with missing teeth in the front look fucked up. And they, they did a good job. I like the fact that the kid's laughing. He's missing his front teeth. He looks all fucking weird. So, yeah, it, it was really cool. I, this scene stood out to me rewatch and I was like it's so dark and fucking twisted to kind of just juxtapose all the random stupid shit we've been watching so far with all the deaths so yeah it's just like a dark little flashback and I love it it's one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie yeah so the MPA told Manny Cotter that he had a lot of work to do so the film could be an R-rated you know feature yeah he says back when the MPA had a lot more issues. Yeah, with they had to cut out a lot of the gore because the MPA was particularly harsh on them because it was the early '90s and horror just was not their thing. Um, so giggles. Here's the precinct calling over the answer machine. And then, yeah, answer machine. So kids, do you re- there used to be these things once upon a time called answer machines when you call a house. And no one answered. They had a machine that backed up and picked up. You, you, you could leave a voice message. Basically, it's, it was voicemail for in. It was an in-home voicemail. That's what an answer machine was to sum it up. So, Tom comes home and hears the same message about Jennifer. <laughs> and this is one of my other favorite parts. I'm your doctor, and I'm standing this is right behind second you. Second message with Doctor Giggles <laughs> describing him standing right behind him. 
It's just the way Larry Drake reads the line is <laughs> yes. fucking hilarious. And then also the fact that Dr. Giggles, again, knows that someone's going to come home soon and fucking listen to this message. <laughs> and he's standing right there. With oh a fucking bone saw. <laughs> Uh, so hilarious. I uh, love it. Just the way Larry Drake reads it makes the whole thing, though. This is your doctor, and I'm standing right behind <laughs> you. Like, Perfect. A-plus delivery there, <laughs> Larry Drake. And he proceeds to take this bone saw and, like, cut him open with it. Like, he just slices across his, like, torso area, and he, like, collapses and seemingly dies for a minute. Um, Yeah. Magruder comes in and finds Tom. Giggles stabs him in the back of the head with a scalpel, and Magruder has just enough time to calm a sick son of a bitch and blames him for 35 years before shooting him in the stomach before he collapses and dies conveniently. Magruder's a terrible cop. Yeah. Exit stage left, Magruder. It was nice knowing you, I guess. Maybe, maybe not. I know. Rewatching this, like I said, I didn't remember much, and I'm like... Maybe he gets a redemption arc, and then he gets fucking stabbed, and I was like, well, there went that. <laughs> yeah. So I know he's played by Richard Bradford Jr. from The Untouchables, as well as um, The Chase. He was in Hammett, The Escape Artist, The Legend of Billy Jean. Uh, like I said, he was the police chief in The Untouchables. Um internal affairs which a film Justin's been ranting about lately on Furycast this the chamber um and that was pretty much you know his career in a nutshell over the decades um he passed away in 2016 retired from acting in 2005 but uh I would say that this and Untouchables are definitely his two biggest roles or, or, or his two roles that he's most known for um So yeah, Giggles goes and performs surgery on himself. maniacally and uncontrollably and he's even talking to himself through the process like a real doctor would and then and he hands a scalpel to himself it appears as if he's an actual (laughs) doctor standing over himself performing this procedure at one point towards the end of it I'm like wait a minute this is fucking too much so yeah he's just like scalpel and he hands himself a scalpel and fucking he's just giggling and shit oh man so he's like painful giggling 
Jennifer has a nightmare that she flatlines and um, giggles, has to perform open heart surgery. Dr. Chamberlain calms her down and checks her results before being stabbed by giggles. But he eventually fights back, and the two of these guys have a duel <laughs> with a lead pipe and an oversized reflex hammer. Like, what the I fuck? Love this scene. Like, I just imagine like the director and like the crew. Like, okay, now like God. reading through the script. All right, now here, Larry. This is the part where you're gonna fight with the fucking reflex hammer, and Doctor Chamberlain, you're gonna fight with your fucking sword. Like, oh God, I just. Like, they knew exactly what they were doing here. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. Any fucking possibility of wedging some kind of doctor joke into this movie, they did it. I mean, every fucking thing and the kitchen sink is in here. And the fact that you get to see these two basically fucking sword fight with their uh, equipment. And yeah. then while Larry Drake is spouting puns and one-liners, <laughs> it's just hilarious. Like, reflexes look normal. Let's check the blood pressure. Like, it's just fucking great. I just love this whole scene. Oh, man. So, yeah. She, uh... Chamberlain... Oh, yeah. At the end of this fight. And, uh... Giggles ends up killing Chamberlain with this blood pressure cuff that he puts around <laughs> he his puts neck. around his head. Yeah. And, and operates it and, and fucking... Ca- Looks like a dog collar. Yeah, he does. <laughs> at the end. Turns his face like pale white. Kidnaps Jennifer. And then Reed shows up to find his partner dead. Tom comes to and tells Reed that a doctor did this. No shit. I know. I, this brings up something. So all the people are like, a doctor did it. A doctor did it. Maybe this is just the big city in me. Like the fact that I live near a big, that we live near a big city has made me more jaded, but the first thing wouldn't pop into my head that is a doctor doing it. It would be like, there's a fucking crazy guy dressed as a doctor doing this shit. Like, everybody refers to him as a doctor. I'm like, why doesn't anybody just assume he's a crazy dude or a fucking killer? I don't know. It, it, it's just funny how everybody says, it's a doctor. Like, they're surprised somebody dressed up as a doctor. I think the one person throughout the entire film that corrects that statement is the director of, of the asylum in the beginning. Yeah. No, Mark says it. Mark from Roseanne says it at one point. Okay. Because he has, he comes up with a fucking theory, like they're, I forget what scene it is, but they're in the police station and he comes up with a theory, he's like, everybody's saying it's a doctor, but what happens if it's not a doctor? What happens if it's a guy who wanted to be a doctor, like his dad? Like, he comes up with the whole fucking plot out of nowhere. I'm like, way to go, Mark from Roseanne. Good job. (laughs) You're fucking brilliant all of a sudden. (laughs) Exactly. Ah, uh, shit. So Giggles is about to perform the surgery on Jennifer when he tells her his plan to replace her broken heart with one that he took from her friends. He's got various car batteries tethered together for this machine, and then he starts going through his, her friends' hearts like Goldilocks or something. Like, this one's too big, this one's too small, this one's just right. Kind of ordeal. And Reitz finds a waiting room of dead head... Th- dead heartless corpses from all of his victims that night i know i love the i love that yeah the whole waiting room with all the corpses i mean heartless corpses makes him throw makes him throw up yeah it's pretty uh pretty funny looking like what seeing all the corpses sitting there in the in the office because it's always hilarious when the slasher victims stash their bodies i mean the slasher killers you know the slashers stash the bodies from Voorhees stashing bodies in certain places and (laughs) 
Same with Michael Myers. I mean, everybody, all all the great slashers do it. But Dr. Giggles, he's got his waiting room of victim. You know, it's pretty awesome. Alright. Sorry about that. Um, Giggles retrieves a golf club and Reitz finds Jennifer and revives her. Tells her that he's gonna get her out of there. Max shows up just as Giggles attacks the trio inside the, of the waiting room together. And, uh, yeah, he ends up, like, knocking Reitz, Reitz through this, like, glass window and shit and ends up bending the, 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 the club. Well, and he gets the golf club and <laughs> of course, there's got to be a one-liner. Got to be a like, fucking one-liner. Time to do what doctors do, do best. best. Yeah. <laughs> Before he grabs the golf ball. <laughs> just like, oh, oh, I'm just man. laughing so hard. I'm like, this is so awesome. I'm like wondering how much of this is in the script and how much Larry Drake came up with. Because I'm sure there had to be ad-libs in there. So yeah, Jennifer and Matt, Max, sorry. They uh, go to escape with the stairs collapse on them. Meanwhile, Giggles and Reitz are fighting in the OR, and I still can't get over the fact that a full-fledged hospital is underneath this goddamn house. Like, it still just blows my mind. Then a fire starts, and Giggles gets the upper hand on Reitz and kills him with that bone saw that he used on Tom earlier. Meanwhile, Max is pulling up Jennifer to the broken stair to the second floor, and uh, she's about to do it. She's about to get herself up, but of course, Giggles has to appear and yank her back down, or at least he tries to. She ends up kicking and flailing her, flailing her way up with Max, leaving him down there a la Michael Myers in Halloween 2018 as the shit's starting to burn down. Giggles is like left to be laughing uncontrollably through all this. I know it is. Now that you mentioned that, I, I I really seriously want to see an interview with David Gordon Green. Like, how'd you come up with the ending of uh, Halloween 2018? I was watching Doctor Giggles the other night. You know what? I like the fact that he got trapped in the fire at the end and got burned up. <laughs> That's where I came up with the whole idea. <laughs> it is strikingly fucking similar. It is funny. So yeah, at the hospital. Jennifer, yeah, that the house goes boom at the hospital. Jennifer goes under for her condition, I guess. They have to put her under last minute. I don't know. They're like, it's an emergency. She's got to go right, right now, even though she's perfectly she's fucking totally fine. totally fine, but I guess we got to do something with this third act, so fuck it. And, um, yeah, Giggles just appears. No, wait, hang on a second. I think I skipped over the wrong part of my notes. Um, yeah, Giggles shows up, having killed the entire staff, minus one doctor off screen. <laughs> one doctor is just fucking, the main surgeon is just watching. What are you doing yeah. here? Like, this fucking burnt guy. It, like, my first instinct would be, like, 
fucking running, like not standing there, like watching him pull out all his toys. And then using one like, on What are him. those? I want you to count backwards slowly from 100. 199, 98, 
frontwards, meaning on top of these fucking devices that are in tight that are lies in his chest. Now they go through him basically from the fall, and um, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> so we cut to this happy ending revolving in, involving Jennifer, Max, and Tom. And then, you know, Tom is all cheerful, like Tamara didn't mean shit to him. Like <laughs> I am my girlfriend or wife is dead. No morning. None of that. And fucking Mark from Roseanne, my friends are all dead. You're right, right. Everybody's fine. Yeah, we don't believe in morning in this universe. So uh Yeah, the we it, the the screen like kind of cues over to like her heart monitor and the the it, it just starts going gradually faster and I mean, she has her heart back, I guess. And that's when the film cuts to the end. And that, folks, is Dr. Giggles from 1992. Real quick, Corey, before we get into our categories, let's take, let's take a swing. A little guess what the body count was. How many people did Dr. Giggles kill? God, it's pretty up there. Let's see, he killed three at the hospital. I know for sure because they say that. So five fucking band of friends. I'm gonna say like fifteen. Close seventeen. Still a lot. Still a fucking lot. That's a lot. I mean, he wants to take revenge on the whole town. I mean, normally there's just like a family or a right, person, right, right. But now he's like, nah, fuck nope. that. I hate this whole town. Nah, man. Evan Rendell Jr. fucking cleans house. All right. And speaking of cleaning house, let's see how much of the house the box office cleaned up and take a look at the box <laughs> office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. Not fucking much. All right. So, Dr. Giggles was released on October 23rd, 1992 from Universal Pictures. It opened up across 1,681 screens. That's a lot. <laughs> Holy shit. It opened up in seventh place. $2.7 million opening weekend. Ooh. Second weekend, it dropped 36.1% down the eighth place with $1.7 million. Total gross, $8.4 million against the budget of... I have no fucking clue because I could not find that box. That I could not find the... Uh, the budget number or figure. They're probably embarrassed <laughs> to release that they spent five well, let's or ten think million about dollars it. on had a movie the, called Dr. We had the CG opening. Okay, that probably was like $10 million alone for 1992. We had a bunch of cool effects, especially they had to build that inside of the mouth shot with Mrs. Henderson. They blew up, they blew the, up a the fucking house, house that they built. Uh... I would say minimum this movie cost ten million. I would say ten to fifteen minimum. Like that would be if it was any lower than that, I'd be surprised. I'd say they fucking stretched their dollars very well if it was less than ten. Uh so yeah, I mean the movie, like I said, uh without really knowing the figure, I mean I, I would I, I would assume that the budget was closer to like twenty million. Um, and if that's the case I mean, even if I take five five million off and, and be generous and say fifteen million was the budget, nope, not this this eight point four ain't gonna do shit. So, and I don't think it actually 
rendered or, or accrued much money in box office or not box or in in uh, home media and in video rentals. No, because you can't fucking buy it. Like it, like it came out on like a plain Jane DVD or Laserdisc, and there was like a double pack. There was a double pack with this. I forget the other movie, but there was a double pack. Doctor Giggles and something else. Uh, they put out back in the day, but. I didn't bring this up before. One of my biggest regrets, I saw this movie on DVD at like one of those uh, mega media exchanges where they had all the used movies back in the day. Right. And it was like, it was expensive, but it wasn't crazy. I think it was like 15 bucks used. And I was like, the fuck? I ain't paying $15 for a used DVD. And little did I know, I'm never going to see it again. So I should have bought it. So yeah, that wraps up box office receipts for this episode. Let's move on then to the Crick's Corner and see what they had to say about the film. Able to find a critic that reviewed this. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I got, uh, I, had, I had a handful actually. So, the Rotten Tomato score for Dr. Giggles sits at a 17% based on 20, 17? 29 reviews. With a Have these fuckers seen this movie? What do you, oh man, cons- I, I can't believe it's that low. Critical consensus that reads Larry Drake's deranged performance as the titular doctor is just about all that distinguishes Dr. Giggles from its slasher brethren. I don't know about that, guys. <laughs> okay. So it's got a meta score of 39 out of 100 based on 14 reviews, a cinema score of C+. Dave Kerr from the Chicago Tribune gave it a 1 out of 4 final rating and said that though director Manny Cotto demonstrates a fairly sophisticated film school technique, he is interested in his characters only as stick figures to be marched through a mechanical plot. There's no emotional connection, and without that, there can be no real suspense. Variety, <laughs> you missed the whole fucking point of this movie, dude. Oh, All right, man. Variety called it a wildly uneven horror film and said that the film focuses too much on cheap laughs. I think it doesn't focus on cheap laughs enough. Variety. So yeah. what do you got to say about that? Fuck you, Vincent Camby from New York Times. Oh no, the screenplay is stitched together from variations of cliches used by or about the medical community. No shit. And uh, it's kind of like telling us how the ocean's full of fish and other creatures. Kevin Thomas from the LA Times, I guess that's the uh, New York Times rival, says Dr. Giggles is one horror comedy that is actually a laugh-out-loud, funny, fast, and frequently hilarious collision of gore and gags, and a tour of the force of smart, sophisticated exploitation filmmaking. There you go. Somebody who fucking watched I like watched this Kevin Thomas. I like this Kevin Thomas cat. Stephen Hunter from the Baltimore Sun had to throw this review in there. You probably your your father probably knows him. He gave it a two out of four and said that all in all, it's quite depressing. I'm sorry. In all, quite depressing. Two aspirin just won't get it done. Take three. <laughs> it's your, dad, it's your uh, dad's I mean, boy. He gave it two out of four. It's your dad's boy. Not really that bad. So the rest of the reviews are pretty just self-proclaimed critics just seeping to get their doctor puns in every review, thinking their originality will take their careers to new heights. 
it makes me really wonder, like a lot of these critics, did they watch the first part of the movie? I doubt and it. the first part is kind of shitty, and then they're like, ah, and then just tune out at that point and miss the complete and utter point of this movie. Like the fact that one of the critics is like, well, there's no emotional anchor here. <laughs> no shit. It's here to fucking laugh and see some gags and watch Larry Drake fucking deliver one line. Like, uh, am I the only one that notices this shit? I mean, I might not have noticed it when I was seven watching it, but I notice it now. Come on, you're a fucking adult. What's your experience? I don't know. I have no clue. But yeah, that's that's pretty much the uh, the gist of the reviews. Um, so yeah, without further ado, we can start talking about what we thought about the overall ordeal. And we can start by dishing out our pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. All right, pros. If you watch this for anything, watch it for Larry Drake. And my other pro is creative death sequences, carnage candy. It's it's good with the blood. It flows. Um, those are my pros. Oh no, I'm sorry. Def, I'm sorry. No, no, that is my pros. Just two. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the top uh, pro for me is Larry Drake. I mean, he makes it. If it was somebody lesser in the role, it would still probably be entertaining somewhat. But just his delivery, his facial expressions, the giggles uh, he throws in. Uh, yeah, I mean, I totally buy he's a deranged psychopath through the whole movie. Just his look. Uh, he pulled it off well in the Tales from the Crypt episode, like I said before, too. So, uh, yeah, he can just put on those crazy eyes and I just completely buy it. And uh, like I said, you can just tell he's having a hell of a lot of fun. So, yeah, he totally makes the movie. So my first pro is his performance. Uh, my second one, much like yours, is the kills and the gags are all great. I mean, honestly, they're all good. Even like the lesser ones in this right. are good. Like you can tell they put a lot of thought into it. Like uh, we're going to have a doctor killing people. We need a thermometer and a fucked up blood pressure thing, and <laughs> needles and, uh, you know, a stomach pump and electricity, like everything. I mean, if, you, if you're telling me this is a slasher with a doctor and you ask me to come up with kills, this movie has it all. Like there's really nothing. I mean, they even bring in fucking golf into the equation. So, yeah, it pays off in every aspect, in my opinion, uh, and gives you exactly what you want for having a doctor or a wannabe doctor, rather, uh, <laughs> as your main slasher in the film. So, yeah, I mean, all that is just fucking great. And then my last pro, which I'm surprised you didn't talk about, is just the direction and cinematography is both good in this movie. I mean, it's nothing spectacular by like a normal movie standards, but for B movie 90s horror. It's really good. It's actually above standard, I above agree. par for this type of movie. Uh, and several scenes, like the mirror scene we talked about earlier, have that stand out. I mean, it's a compliment, it's a competently put together movie, which when you stand it next to a lot of its contemporaries from the 90s makes it look like a fucking Oscar winner. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's good. Like the movie from top to bottom, uh, as far as direction and cinematography, is good. It, the movie looks good, it, you know, like I talked about when the house blows up. I mean, it just it doesn't look cheap and shitty like a lot of the other movies uh, from this era and B movies. It, 
you know, we don't know the budget, so it could have been a huge budget, could have been a medium budget, but either way, everything looks good. And um, yeah, I really appreciate the direction. My props to Manny Cotto on this film. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the cons then. Um, cons, cons, cons. Man, these characters are really fucking dumb and wooden. Uh, chock full of horror cliches, some of which are pretty eye-rolling. And finally, it's definitely a product of its time, for better or worse. In this case, probably worse. Um, yeah, it's one of the, just keep it, you know, short and sweet, to the point. So those are my cons of the film. Corey, how about you? What are your issues? Yeah, similar issues. I mean, you know, while the critics earlier are talking about, like, there's no emotional anchor, there's no one to root for, you know, they're not completely wrong. Like, it's not the point of the movie, but the teen characters are all just bad. I mean, that's my first con. The teen characters are just fucking terrible. I don't like any of them. They're all dumb as shit. Uh, Even the main girl who's supposed to be the one we're rooting for, there's no depth there. You don't see any kind of issues with her heart other than you're being told it's that. It's hard to root for, dude. Um, I've been saying it this entire episode. It's hard to root yeah. for Jennifer. She's fucking useless until the end. Like, I mean, she almost shoots the fucking cop. Like, when she's got the gun <laughs> and they're trying That's to fight right. off Dr. Giggle, she, right. she fucking shoots with her eyes closed. I'm like, come on. Like, she's useless. At no point until the end does she really do anything until she fucking home alones him at the end. There's nothing. I mean, it's just it's just infuriating. And then she gets to back together with fucking cheating Mark from Roseanne. So, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. She's not likable. None of the characters are likable. In fact, I was waiting for him to die. It's probably why I like the movie more is because they all die pretty early and you don't have to hear about them again. So, uh, yeah, the teen characters are fucking horrendous. Like, there's nobody to root for. I mentioned there's two likable characters. I said one was Dr. Giggles. <laughs> You you want to guess who the other likable character that I actually liked in this movie was? Ooh. Uh Stu's brother. Playing Dr. Playing yeah, Dr. No. Mario. I don't know who. Yeah, Reitz. The, oh, um, that's right. Cop. He at least he is a fucking somewhat competent cop right. and fights Dr. Giggles at the end. I mean he dies, but at least he fucking goes for it. He tries to lead Dr. Giggles away from the kids. He seems like the only other decent person, even though he's a fucking weirdo for acting like he didn't know anything about the whole doctor thing and then he's like oh yeah i do know about that but anyway yeah the, the, that's the two likable characters dr giggles and reese those are the only two the only two good ones anyway uh my other uh con is you know i wish this movie i, I know the whole point of it is to watch the gags and the one-liners and it is more of a horror comedy but that doesn't preclude it from having a few scenes that are maybe somewhat suspenseful or creepy. I wish maybe it had a few more like the flashback scene, I would say, is probably legitimately the only scene where it's somewhat creepy just because you see a kid crawling out of a cadaver and it's so dark and it's kind of well done. I wish the scene had a few more of those kind of sprinkled in. Right. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. Like to kind of juxtapose the craziness and silliness. Uh, So. Yeah, that would be a minor kind. I just wish it had a few more uh, serious, maybe suspenseful. I'm not saying going to say scary, but just, you know, maybe just a little bit change of pace in there. So that would be my other main con. All right. Well, then we can move on to modern cancellations. 
Someone just got cancelled. Someone just got cancelled. Someone just got cancelled. I wonder what they did. Alright, Corey, who's getting cancelled by today's cancel culture? I mean, I think the malpractice suits alone would sink Dr. <laughs> Giggles. I mean, Jesus Christ, if he lived through this. Like, I mean, everybody treats him like a real doctor, so why not just assume he has, uh, you know, like medical insurance and uh, probably all, all these victims' families are going to get lawyers up. And uh, yeah, his malpractice uh, uh, suits are going to be up the ass. So yeah, of course, Dr. Giggles. All right. Um. Ah, uh, yes. Corrine and or Max 100%. That's right. Because obvious fucking reasons. Uh, you don't do the things that Max was running around doing, especially when his girlfriend is at home suffering from whatever condition she had at the time. Um, and then you've got this Marine character who just plays fuck eyes with him from the first scene. We saw them all together outside the school up to this point where the two of the, uh, of, of the power couple, uh, um, or, or, or on the uh the Fritzes, so she kind of like intervenes and uh manages to uh bag herself a makeout section. So uh, her bet it, it's I don't know it's, the, the the two of them are just shitty people that you <laughs> know that and that's why. I know I can't be the only person who thinks that. So boom. No, they're fucking human garbage. Yep. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we can move on then to Mulligan Moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? Time to change some things around. If I had the option to change one thing, I would flesh out the Rendell backstory a little more. In the theatrical release, it starts, then suddenly just stops, and I just feel that it's missing a flashback or two, since it shows him be being just insane and then that's pretty much it so um uh like i said i would just flesh it out that that's that's pretty much where it starts and ends for me give me the tools to change one thing about this movie and that's what it is uh just add some more just flesh out his backstory a little bit more that's all how about you Corey? what would you change uh i mean honestly the whole condom thing is just so weird (laughs) to me like just literally have them go into the bathroom to freshen up. I don't fucking care. I don't even mind that he puts the hat back on. I think that's kind of fucking funny, actually. The fact that he thought he was going to fuck with a hat on like that. But, uh, yeah, the kind of thing is just weird. Like, just like a kid this age. I mean, you have sex ed, even back then. Like, it was a thing in the 80s and 90s. Come on. <laughs> it's just so oh, I weird. I, I don't know. I mean, he's looking at it like, it's this foreign fucking object. <laughs> and then it's in the it's in the toilet. And I'm like, why fish it out? Like, are you gonna put your dick in the toilet water condom? Come on. Oh shit, that's good. Alright, fair enough. Um I like that. Let's move on then to our favorite moments of the film. Finger licking good. Finger licking good. <laughs> Licking good, finger licking good, finger licking good. So yeah, the maze, the, the the mirror maze scene. I mean, I think people knew that the the answer to this question while we were talking about the plot. So, uh, no brainer, mirror maze sequence. I think it's the standout scene of the film, and um, yeah, a nice little way to spend ten minutes. It's an awesome scene, left and right. So, 
Yeah, for me, uh, I like the very ending. I I just love the way Dr. Giggles goes at the end. I can't think of a more fitting way for him to go out. So, yeah, I just love the fact that she fucking Marv Home, Home Alone's his ass and just the way he goes down. So really the whole uh, second ending, you know, because all horror movies got to have like the second ending. The whole second ending at the hospital is just so ridiculous and over the top from the contraptions Dr. Giggles brings in to the uh, way he dies and then the one liners and even the shitty lead final girl gets a one liner in there that's halfway decent. Right. So, uh, yeah, the whole uh, very ending, the whole second ending is just great to me. And I just love the fact that uh, Larry Drake winks at the camera at the end. Uh, you know, and breaks the fourth wall. So yeah, that whole end. I, I completely didn't even remember any of that watching it. And it makes sense why I didn't. I probably thought it was silly back when I was a kid because I didn't fucking understand, uh, you know, context and humor in movies like I do now. You know, it was probably fucking seven when I watched this. So I'm <laughs> expecting a real horror movie, not a comedy, you know? All right. Well, we're going to move on then to Like This, Try That. You can go with this. I'm going to go with Corbin Burnson's The Dentist. God damn it. That's really? the one I was going to pick. I love that movie. Yeah, Brian Yosna. Then, uh, yeah, I then, then we movie. have, then this is a social. We both have the same answer. Explain to the audience why we're picking this, Corey. Uh, I just love the movie. It's another movie. Obviously, it has a tie. So you have Dr. Giggles' doctor, <laughs> and then the dentist, Corbin Burnson, who is his LA co-star Law. from L.A. Right. Law, has that tie. Uh, he's the dentist where it's actually he's a real dentist. Dr. Giggles isn't a real doctor, but uh, I just remember uh, the dentist. It's been a while since I've seen it. I think it's on uh, Justin's favorite uh, streaming service Tubi right now, but uh, I haven't watched it in a while, but I remember just having a dark sense of humor and it just creeped me the fuck out. Like I, I remember there was a couple scenes that just kind of make your skin crawl just because the house fucking sleazy. Corbin Burnson is in that movie, but I remember it just being a fun, good time. Uh, and I think it's just the doctor dentist thing just goes together well. And then the fact that it's Brian Yosna, you know, he always has a sick sense of humor in his movie. So I think it fits together well with Dr. Giggles. Let's move on then to our MVPs. All right. Now you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is... Larry Drake. <laughs> now I was going to go with Mark from Roseanne. Yeah, yeah really right, like right, right. How he has his fucking redemption I mean, redemption I'm pretty sure, the for the most part, like the rest of these categories, we're going to have common answers. And that's fine. I mean, great minds think alike. Plus, I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty... It's, it's, it's the fitting answer. Uh, we might, we might yeah. separate on this next one, though. Um... Before we get to it, though, the MVP, Larry Drake, he's just, you know, on all, everything about him in this role, uh, the way that every time we see him, he's just got, uh, you know, a, a zinger to, to throw at the audience, you know, literally breaking the fourth wall before he dies at the end of the movie. Um, I feel like a part of me, or a part of me, rather, feels like that this movie was just made for him. I think I said it best at the top of the episode when, like, I feel like he's a blend of Benny from L.A. Law and Robert Duran from Darkman, and I'll, I'll swear by that statement till I die, as far as uh, describing Dr. Giggles goes. Um, 
So yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, everything you said uh and double. It's just he just has the ability to look just fucking insane. Like without even like really yes. doing much with his face. He just has that look. He had it in the Tales from the Crypt episode, which is why I like that so much. And he has it here. Like, I completely buy that he's batshit insane. I completely buy that he's also really smart, you know, because uh, they say, like, his character, even though he's fucking crazy, he is really smart. And, you know, I buy him as this crazed serial killer wannabe doctor. And like <laughs> you said, it, it's like just a perfect role for him because it has the giggles and the laughter and the one liners and jokes, but he also can come across menacing. Like, I mean, he is menacing in a couple of scenes, whether, you know, the movie's not real it's scary at all, but he comes across as fucking intimidating. Like, I'd be scared hmm. of him. <laughs> I saw him <laughs> dressed up like even at a con, like I saw him at a con 10 years ago or whatever. I'd be creeped out by it if he was dressed up as Dr. Giggles. So, yeah, he just has that aura about him and he pulls it off so well. So, of course, I mean, this is why you're paying the ticket to admission or, you know, renting it or whatever it is. You want to watch Larry Drake just deliver these awesome zingers and uh, deliver these awesome kills. Absolutely. One hundred percent. MVP. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. All right, then let's move on to our favorite kills of the film. R.I.P. Rest in so, out of 17 death scenes, which was the best? Uh, for me, um, I think I'm going to go with uh, Tamara's death scene. It's just the death scene that's always stood out. When you think about it in hindsight, it just makes you go, you know, the fact that she's just jamming this goddamn snake down her fucking throat. And then turns it all the he way up. Rotor rooters are ass. Yeah, dude. He just, uh, it's it's so brutal. Um, a rare occurrence from. Glad we didn't get the aftermath. Um, because you know that 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 bowl full of bloody milk, bloody uh, ice cream was bad enough. So, how about you, Core? This one was easy for me. Nothing's gonna top stew. When he's fucking crawling through the covers and Dr. Giggles is just laying there with that fucking smile on his face. Oh my god, that scene made me laugh so hard. And then the fact that I hated Stu also helped. You know, that at the end you see him all fucking cut up at his dick. Uh, yeah, it was just a fun scene all in all. Definitely the most memorable one. Just where they take the ridiculousness and just amp it up. The fact that, uh, you know, Larry Drake is just laying there with that fucking shit-eating grin. Asking if he wore protection. It's just like a chef's kiss right there. Uh, that was just perfect. I love that kill. All right. Let's then. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. It's time for the final effect treatment. Ow. On a scale of one. Ow. On a scale. Ah. On a scale. Ow. On a scale of one to ten. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. Give me the damn veggies. What do you think? Uh, Corey, why don't you uh, take the lead? You go first on this one. Yeah, this might surprise people, and it surprises the hell out of me. I'm going to give this movie three out of five. I Honestly, I cannot believe I'm uttering that fucking score out of my mouth right now. But yeah, three out of five. I mean, this movie delivers pretty much everything I would want out of a early 90s slasher movie. Uh, you know, I don't think you... Ha how serious can you really go with a script and premise like this? So the fact that they went with horror comedy just works perfectly. Uh, 
like I said, I was really worried this movie wasn't going to hold up like uh, Ice Cream Man. I mentioned before it. That movie did not hold up. This movie did. I mean, it has good kills. It has good comedy, has a strong lead, has shitty fucking teen actors in it. But, you know, it is what it is. It can't all be winners. But yeah, the movie delivers. I had a good time watching it. It had good gags, good kills. And yeah, it's one I want to rewatch. I mean, it's one I would instantly buy if it was out on Blu-ray or a reasonable way to buy. Right. I just I, w- I would even take a plain Jane Warner Brothers studio re-release on Blu-ray. I mean, it looked good on the streaming. I'll say that. Like, I mean, the movie has the potential to look good. It's not like a shot on shittio or something like that. So it it just shot yeah, it on a- shittio. Is that what you said? Yeah, you never heard that before. That's shittio? fucking great. I love that. Some Coward movies uh, back in the day shot <laughs> shot on like the old video fucking <laughs> shitty format. It's great. Oh. So, um, but anyway, yeah, it's just hilarious, fun movie, good time. I think for any genre fan, you're going to enjoy it. And, you know, for those who might say like the critics, oh, it's not scary. Not all horror movies got to be scary. There's fucking horror comedies and that's what this is. So get over yourself. I mean, if you can't figure that shit out after five minutes of watching this movie, uh, I, I'd like to question your brain cell count. I mean, it's just great fun time. Any genre fan can enjoy <laughs> uh, good gory fun. It's just fucking goofy gory fun. That's the best way I could describe it. Goofy gory fun with Larry Drake. Awesome time. Surprised the hell out of me that I'm giving it three out of five. What's yours? Three out of five. Larry Drake definitely saved this from being a 2 or 2.5, but thankfully, it has enough gore and funny bits to warrant a firm 3-star rating from yours truly. The rest of the acting is your typical bland variety from your average slasher film. The plot's a bit incomplete, but still meaty enough to hold my attention for its 90-minute runtime. And... Yeah, so that's 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 pretty much that uh, to wrap things up. And before we wrap up, overall, I want to take a few minutes to speak directly to our friends at Scream Factory. Um, yeah, like I said at the top of the episode, um, I've been wanting to get this off my chest for quite some time now. This movie deserves your attention, your focus. Someone there, whether it be Cliff or whomever is in charge of uh, getting uh the, the the deals together uh reach out reach out to Warner Brothers or Universal reach out to both of them you do business with both companies there's no reason why you can't reach out and inquire about this movie and I guarantee you if you did they're not gonna hold back they're gonna let you have it uh, there's no reason for them to hold this title from you guys it's not like there's a big you know trilogy of of new Dr. Giggles films coming out you know from from Universal's 1440, you know, direct-to-video library or whatever. None of that's happening. So, as far as I see it, let go of this. Give it to the hands of Scream Factory or in the slightest, rarest, offbeat occasion, maybe uh, Arrow would be able to snatch it up. But most likely we're leaning towards Scream Factory. And, uh, yeah, you guys need to get Get this chap. Get this. Uh, get this film. Get it so it can get a. I mean, this film definitely needs a new transfer. It could definitely use a bunch of uh bonus material, aka uh a commentary. I think from all the formats that this has had between DVD, Laserdisc, and now Blu-ray, 
never had of commentary track before. So get a hold of uh, Manny Cotto and sit him down for a couple hours on a Sunday afternoon and record a commentary so you can put it on this uh, exclusive edition that, think of it, you can have like, you know, the exclusive artwork um, illustrated and then reverse cover to that badass uh, theatrical cover that we talked about, we gloated about at the top of this episode. So there's a lot of things you can do with this. And I'm not sure why you guys just celebrated your 10th anniversary last month. Why you guys don't have this film in your library already. I'll never know. But hopefully someone hears this or it gets passed on to the right person who hears it and passes it on to the right person. And hopefully within the next year, hopefully by next year's Halloween Horathon event, we can be talking about Dr. Giggles being released on Scream Factory Blu-ray. So, anyway, this episode's been sponsored by Mental Awareness. If your town's ever stalked by a killer doctor, maybe he's just misunderstood. Consider others' mental health before you become another statistic. Just kidding. And now that we've wrapped up that fucking point that I just made, it's time to wrap up the episode and our 30th anniversary coverage of Dr. Giggles, the deep dive of all deep dives, a film that still gets that full, 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 full film of, I don't know why I just said it like that, but it gets that full film effect seal of approval, one down many more to follow. In the meantime, check out our everyone collection of previous episodes on your podcast service of choice or at the website. Please like, subscribe, or follow and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, all links in the episode notes. You can reach out directly either via email, the film effect podcast at gmail.com. You can direct message us on Facebook, Twitter, or IG. Preferably Twitter. It's the best way to reach out because we love our Twitterverse and our fans and our audience on there. And it's just, it's always a party going on on Twitter. Reviews and ratings, please consider leaving a positive one or a review on your platform of choice. And don't forget to also check out all the episodes from last year's Horathon event while you're going through our current slate of episodes for this year's Horathon event. And coming up on Horror. Coming up on this year's Horathon event will be something, I don't know, I think it's either going to be Vamp or Child's Play 2. Something horror-related is coming in the next day or two, <laughs> so bear with us. In the meantime, thank you all so much for listening. This has been a great episode. I had a really fun time doing this, Corey. I hope you did, too. Yeah, I, I, I always have fun when we talk about something from our childhood, especially something I haven't seen in such a I long know, time. I know, right? Well, both of us, really. Well, thank God it still holds up. So, anyway, I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this has been Halloween Horathon 2 Dead by Pod on the Film Effect Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. And I'm just glad it didn't come out to be like Long Kiss Goodnight. I was really worried this episode was going to be another fucking Long Kiss Goodnight. (laughs) Bye, guys.